three to order. Ms. Goodell, could you please take the roll? Uh, yes, Dr. Dimick? Here. Ms. Downs? Here. Dr. Gould? Here. Dr. Ortiz? Here. Mr. Reitinger? Here. Ms. Silverman? Here. And Ms. Tice? Here. Thank you. Thank you. If you all could join me in saying the Pledge of Allegiance. Thank you. I'm now seeking a motion to adopt the agenda. I recommend that the board adopt the agenda as presented. Thank you, Vice Chair Gould. May I have a second? second. Thank second. you, Dr. Dimmick. All those in favor say yes. 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 All those opposed say no. Thank you. Motion carries. The agenda is adopted. We're now moving on to Section 2, Spotlight Team FCCPS, and I'll turn it over to Superintendent Noonan. Thank you, Chair Downs, and good evening, everybody. It's um, nice to see such a full house tonight. Thanks for being here. Um, this evening, our Spotlight on Learning is actually called the Memory Project, um, and, it, and I see Mr. Robarge in the audience over there, and uh, for those of you that don't know, uh, Mr. Robarge has made the decision, sadly for us, to um, retire from FCCPS. Um, but as he goes, I think we'll have to give you a merit of status since you were one of our teachers of the year uh, not too long ago. But Mr. Robarge, along with others, have been working diligently on, uh, with the art students on the Memory Project where they're making projects for um, underprivileged um, students overseas. And tonight, you'll see a video about that. Um, and at the end, you'll have an opportunity to ask Mr. Robar Mr. Robarge and maybe some students that may be here tonight um, any questions that you might have. And then um, one of the things we hope you'll see in this project is the strong connection to the International Baccalaureate Program. So with that, we'll turn it over to Mr. Brett. Uh, this is the picture that I drew of the Nigerian boy. His name is Vincent, and he wants to be a musician when he grows up. My name is Hannah Onico. I'm in Art 3, Mr. Robarge's art class. I'm Mark Robarge, and I'm the art teacher at Meridian High School. The Memory Project is a project where we reach out across the miles to children, disadvantaged children across the world, really. The Memory Project people go to refugee camps or spots that are really trouble around the world, and they take pictures of children there, send those pictures out to high schools across the world. We receive a bunch of pictures from children in a different country, in a uh, different part of the world and we draw them. They sent us all the pictures digitally uh, along with some information about the students. They sent us some interest that they had, some, some affirmation words that they thought about themselves. They also sent us uh, what they wanted to be when they grew up. So having that information, what we did when we drew the portraits was we tried to include some of that in the background. On the back, I traced my hand, everyone traced their hands and um, I put my name and age in a little blurb about me. And what was really touching was to see the video that we got back of children in Nigeria receiving these portraits. Make some noise for Princess Rachel! 
there was a lot of joy throughout. Everyone was just so excited to see what a student, especially me just for them, that a lot of time and hard work was put into it. And I think everyone was just really happy. All the children loved their portraits. The smiles on their faces are priceless. Seeing that, oh, I want to be a nurse, and then you make something that relates to their dream. It's something that they haven't seen before. To show that we know about them, we care about them, and really it's kind of sending them some love. And something cool was in the video, we could see a lot of the kids holding their hands up to our traced hands as if to kind of connect with us a little more. Giving us a high five across the miles, which was really touching to see that happen. Um, and that was really special. I mean, you could just feel the energy in the room kind of shift when, when that happens uh, when we were watching the video. <laughs> A lot of the students said it was a very meaningful project to them. I think it was a really good way to connect with people who share a different culture than us and just to make their lives a little more special that day. It's a project that they get to, they get to help somebody across the world um, through their creative efforts. And uh, they gave 150% to this project and it was a beautiful thing to watch and be a part of. Thank you. Let's do this more. And I'm so happy to play. Like I'm so I'm so excited. Like I can't I can't explain it. Like I'm so happy. Thank you all for for joining this. I'm so happy. Like I love this. I I love for them next year. Thank you very much. Bye. So Chair Dance, can we invite Mr. Robarge up um, and give him a round of applause and. You guys can then ask him any questions you want, but of I just course. want to thank him for incredible work. Of course. Well, I'll just say that video gets me every time. <laughs> I've seen it probably half a dozen times or more, but um, it's just really heartwarming to see their reaction. Um, I kind of feel like that young lady, the last young lady, you know, it's like <laughs> heart beating and such. But yeah, it was this really great project. I think this is probably maybe the fifth or sixth year that we've done this project. And I have to thank the um, PTSA because they've funded it um, every single year. It costs about uh, $15 per student to be a part of the project because uh, to exchange the photographs and ship the drawings over there. And the PTSA has been very supportive the whole way through. Um, so thanks to them, kudos to them. And like I said, the kids really did give it their all. That was what was really great to see was that um, it was meaningful to them and they just, they were really 150% there. They wanted it to be good. They wanted it to relate to the kids. They paid attention to the information that we got from the memory project about their child. So they really like worked hard to make it individual, and that was just uh, really wonderful. So I'll say that. And I don't know if you have any questions for me or not. <laughs> well, th thank you. It, it, it's incredible. And you know, I, I've uh, often uh, volunteered and helped with different community service projects throughout our school system. And it's, it's pretty rare when the students are able to see 
the children on the other, the receiving end and what an impact that has. So how powerful for your students. It's just phenomenal and of course, you know, fits right in with our IB um, community. So thank you very much for that, that work. Does anyone have any questions or comments? <coughs> Well, they, I mean, that's such a nice way for us to start because we're be, going to be talking about the budget later. So this is a much, <laughs> much more heartwarming way to start this meeting. So thank you very much and, and congratulations on your retirement. I've, yeah, my children have never had, we have no art talent in the Downs family, but I have heard amazing things about you and you're going to be greatly missed. So thank you for all of the years at, at our high school. Yeah, thank absolutely. You. Yeah, thank Consider you. this your right. first, uh, your first of many farewells. So thank you, yeah. Mr. Robarge, for your yeah, incredible. John told me I should come take a victory lap. So I guess this is the start of that. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Thanks. Thank you again. Okay, that was great. Uh, we're now moving on to Section 3, Recognitions and Reports, and Section 3.01, our robotics team. I'll turn it back over to you, Dr. Noonan. Uh, I think the robot might speak for itself as it sits over there. Um, but I'd like to um, invite up uh, Steve Knight, who is our amazing sponsor of Team 1419, um, or 1418, excuse me, um, to talk a little bit along with the team uh, about our, robot, our robotics um, program and our robot. So, Mr. Knight, I'll, I'll turn it over to you. Who's up first? All right. Um, hello. My name is Bobby Miller, and I'm a senior at Meridian High School, um, and I've been a member of the robotics team for the past four years, and I'm delighted to be able to say that I was a captain for this year's team. Um, so today we're going to be talking a little bit about the design process that went into making this wonderful machine right here, as well as a little bit um, of, about just the team as a whole and the experiences that it brings to all of the students at Meridian High School. Uh, hi, I'm, I'm Brandon. Uh, yes. So uh, I'm, a, I'm a junior this year. This is my third year on the team. Uh, I am a the uh, head programmer. So um, yeah. So as you can see here, we're uh, we've we've been around for a while at the school. Uh, our our team is a legal adult this year. So there's that. Um, we were we were actually recently featured in a Falls Church News Press article this past April or late April, um, talking especially about our uh, past year. Uh, we're, we're a part of the uh, FIRST Robotics Competition, which is an international organization that allows robotics teams like us to compete against each other in uh, a fun game that we'll talk about later. Uh, and if you, if you want to learn more about that, there's actually a new documentary on Disney Plus called uh, More Than Robots that uh, you can learn more about first there. So, yeah. So we, we only were able to bring a fraction of the team out this evening, um, but as you can see from our picture, we've, um, we've been able to grow the team quite a lot. So as of, for, for this year, Brandon and I were the only two team members that had experience in our 2019 season, which was the last year that we built a full robot. With COVID, um, unfortunately, we were only able to sort of expand on, um, on, that 20, on, that 20, on our 2020 robot. Um, and so we really went into this year without a lot of experience. I was the only senior on the team. Um, and so we knew early on that we needed to focus on um, 
really helping our rookie members understand what FIRST Robotic, what FIRST is all about, the core values that they bring, as well as the basics of the engineering design process and all of those sort of soft skills that you learn through programs like FRC um, to help us throughout high school and then into the workforce. Hi, oh my gosh. Hi, I'm Alexa Zercher. Um, I am a freshman at Meridian. This was my first year on the robotics team and I was the drive team coach. This year we had, the game was called Rapid React. The goal was for our robot to be able to intake these nine by nine tennis balls and shoot them into a lower and upper goal. And then also we were trying to climb these monkey bars as you can see in the corners. All right. So first, we had our preseason. Um, because our team is a year-round team, we meet before and after our actual season. And so in this time, we meet weekly, and we really focus on team building and uh, teaching first years um, the skills they need to succeed in robotics. Um, and so through, to do that, we uh, both present to uh, first years, but we also have first years go out and do research and then present uh, their findings back to us. Um, so in this time period, uh, first years can choose between mechanics and programmers, and uh, and they can flip flop in between uh, in this entire time. But bas basically, um, first years mechanics work on a smaller Vex robot, where they learn the general skills for developing and building a robot. While the second and third years work on a larger robot, and then for the programmers, uh, with pro uh, for the programmers, um, the first years learn how to first actually code with the robot but then also work on the website itself, and that's really helped us throughout the years. Um, they, we also teach them basic, uh, how to use basic tools uh, as well during this time, uh, which also furthers their um, understanding of robotics. Another extremely important aspect of what we do is outreach within the community as well as fundraising. So um, one of the many traditions that we have on our team is to host a workshop every fall to help other teams in our area learn about the basics of robotics. And so we were very fortunate to have Mike, Mr. Anderson um, from Herndon High School come in and give a presentation to, um, I believe it was about uh, representatives from about a dozen teams in Northern Virginia that were able to come and learn about the new um, control systems and some of the new uh, hardware that FRC was introducing this year and learn the basics of coding. Um, that new equipment. We also are responsible for the pumpkin patch that appears in the parking lot every, um, every October. And um, so that's one of the many ways that we're able to earn, earn some money um, for the team in order to fund going to competitions, um, these wonderful t-shirts, food throughout the season, and everything like that. Uh, hi, I'm Argyle. I'm a junior. I'm a mechanic, and this is my first year on the team. So. Prototyping is a really critical time for the team. Uh, this season, we spent about our first five weeks prototyping. And during this time, we really encourage first years to get their hands on as much as possible. Uh, everyone works in groups. Some of these were led um, by first years, completely comprised of first years. And it's really about trying, uh, trying things, seeing if they work or not. And, uh, one of the really great things is, especially when those designs uh, work out and get adopted into the final design, like our shooter was mostly led by first years, as well as our uh, indexing system. Uh, 
Uh, this uh, applies skills learned during preseason, like fabricating parts uh, using metal cutting and bending in the milling machines. So, um, hi, I'm back. Um, the, for the programming and electronic side, uh, this is a great experience for, uh, for our students, both in specifically the uh, robotics specific areas, as well as general um, applications of these skills for more wide use. So uh, for, for the programming, we use uh, the Java language, which is the same language that we use in the uh, computer science pro, um, uh, computer science classes, that's the word, um, at Meridian. Um, and we also give our our coders the experience to learn a lot of new uh, a lot of new different languages that are used a lot, um, especially if they grow up and become uh, software engineers or anything, such as HTML, CSS, JavaScript, stuff like that for building websites. Um, in addition to this, we use libraries, uh, uh, pre-written pre pieces of code that are also used in uh, professional settings, such as Node.js and Jekyll, uh, for things such as our website and a custom-made dashboard for our drivers when uh, using the robot during a game. Uh, unfortunately, our uh, robotics member could not be here today, but I'll talk about that also. Um, for uh, electronics, uh, it's a great opportunity to uh, learn about the hands-on experience of um, for electronics, such as uh, terminating wires, the uh, safety at high voltages. Safety is a, a huge part of our team. Uh, cable management, fuses, basic circuits, and uh, many more things. So here behind me is our final robot. Um, it, I don't know if you can see it, um, but this robot is able to intake these nine by nine tennis balls. It is able to shoot them at different heights and it has that arm that is able to climb and lift the robot up to <laughs> two feet off the ground. We named our robot Hippo and Syrientum. I think I pronounced that right. It is Hungry Hippo in Latin because the intake system of the tennis balls reminded us of the childhood game. And our team name, Vevictus, is Latin. And so we thought, why wouldn't we translate it into Latin? So um, we, we were quite successful in our competitions this year. In our first competition, we were able to qualify as the second seeded team. Um, and then we, from that, we were able to head our own alliance. Unfortunately, we lost in the semifinals. And then in our second competition, um, we weren't quite so lucky in the qualifying rounds. Um, we ended up as the 12-seeded team. We were still picked up by one of the alliances and, again, lost in the semifinals. In both of those competitions, we're happy to report that we ended up losing to the team that ended up uh, winning the whole thing. So it was a very valuable learning experience for everyone that was able to go, and especially for everyone that will be involved in building our robot for next year. So for the next steps, um, the one of the largest recruitment events that we do is going over into the middle school and going into all of their science classes and giving a presentation, showing off our old robot to attract new interest. That's um, one of the large reasons why we were able to have so many freshmen join the team this year. 
Um, and then we will also host an interest meeting in the fall where we can show off the robot to anyone else that is at Meridian High School and might be interested in learning um, some of the skills that we've been able to describe tonight. Uh, one, of, one of the other events that we'll be participating in coming up is uh, Code Ninja's uh, third year anniversary, uh, which is a, uh, a company that, a local-ish company that uh, helps uh, young kids, especially elementary schoolers, learn how to code in a fun environment. So we'll be bringing our robot over for that uh, in the coming weeks. Um, and allow some of the younger kids to uh, look at it, maybe drive it around, and um, get uh, just kind of see what what possibilities lie ahead for them in the um, engineering, computer science, all of those, uh, all the type of stuff. So, and it's also good community outreach because a lot of those kids also go to. Um, the uh, Oak Street Elementary and other uh, schools in the area. Do want um, So we had a phenomenal season this year, and it uh, would not have been possible without the continued support of, of the school board and of everyone involved in Falls Church City Public Schools. Um, thank you very much. Well, thank you all. That was a terrific presentation. And uh, I'm sure our Mount Daniel students would love to know that uh, our robot is, is the hippo. So, um, But I, I did really appreciate you calling it a varsity, that this is your varsity sport, because that really struck me as you all were presenting. What a great team presentation um, that you all just gave us tonight. And you know, hearing how you assigned certain tasks to the freshmen and seniors stepped up in the leadership roles, is, it's fantastic. And you all are learning hard skills of those um, programming and the soft skills of leadership and teamwork. So it's, it's terrific. We're really, really proud of you. And, and the robotics team has had a long history of success in our school system. So you really make us proud. I do have a son who's at, who uh, participates at Code Ninja as an MEH student. And I know seeing something like that, helping him make the connection from what he's doing, learning coding, to looking at this robot, I think is, would be very powerful. Do any, does anyone have any questions? Yes. Yeah, so um, as an engineer and, and a veteran of a couple of um, a, a very older version of, of such events, um, I'd like to ask the team, did anything, um, did anything go awry or not quite work like you expected during the um, competitions that you had to then fix on the fly? Because like one of the, one of the, 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 the kind of like the true tests is how well you know your machine and what works and what might not and how you can fix it. If you could just tell, share a little story about how you had to come together as a team in the moment to, uh, to really make something happen. I, I, I will say that uh, we were lucky. We didn't have Vicki Gallagher to be our trainer, but we definitely needed a lot of a prayer. So you guys gonna talk about some of the things we had to do? Uh, yeah, well, one of the most major things that happened was during one of the, uh, or, yeah, it was the second competition. I believe it was one of the last qualifying matches. Uh, we actually ran into another robot and snapped our arm, and you'll see all this duct tape. <laughs> our arm snapped. We kind of pushed it back together, and we were lucky enough that 
another team there allowed us to use a piece of their flat bar, and we kind of just bolted it all together. And uh, well, it still works. Yeah, that's certainly the kind of the kind of experience I was hoping to hear about. I'm sure there were others. Thanks. Yeah. So I, I also have to. Had, I'm sorry. Um, our, our first in our first competition, it's um, I won't go into all of the details, but I will say that it was kind of the epitome of Murphy's Law, and we had to really figure out a lot of things broke, and there were only a couple things that we could do, but we were able to do them very well, and because of that, we were the second seeded team uh, at the competition. So that also just goes to show all that so I don't do you have a you know the saying that we used to have in the lab was the simpler the better so maybe that's uh, something that you guys think about too from time to time <laughs> thank you mr. Ortiz vice chair Gould? yeah no impressive and, and appreciate you all presenting it's really exciting to see uh, an aspect of a, of, a, of a sport that you don't get to hear the uh, you know how the season works and how the competitions work so it's really it's really great to see especially the history um, uh, I'm, I'm doing the math, and, and I, I did coach soccer when I was in, in high school. I'm realizing you all are putting a lot more work in, in, in what, uh, than what we did as a, as a season, so, um, which is probably why we didn't do as well as you all did. Um, but uh, a question for you. You mentioned something about alliances in the competition. Can you describe what that was and how that works? So basically, the top four seeded teams became alliance captains. So. Every match, you were on either the Blue Alliance or the Red Alliance. Each alliance had three robots from three different teams. Um, when we were choosing the alliances, that was for the semifinals and the finals. Um, the top four seeded um, robots got to choose two extra members to join their alliance. So when we were the second seeded um, team in the like event, um, we chose second, um, and we got to choose two extra teams to join us to help us in the semifinals. And we did research. We had the help from our scouts. And they figured out which teams um, had scored the most, were best at defense, and all that stuff. And then we were able to incorporate that into our plan. And, and part of what we had to do, right, is we had to sell ourselves. So we had to market why we were a good team member, why we would be part of the alliance. And Alexa and the team really had to build relationships with all the other teams at the competition to tell them and, and deliver what we promised. That's great. That's great. No, I appreciate it. I appreciate it. It's also notable that the students are doing all the presentation and talking about their experiences. That obviously says a lot about their overall coach as well, to let them you know, step back and let them let them do do what they do. So yeah, great job. So yeah, thanks everybody. Anyone else? Well, thank you, and, and I couldn't say it better. Thank you, you know, Mr. Knight. I know that you've taken really the leadership role. None none of this could happen without your support. So thank you for all of the countless countless hours that you put towards this. I appreciate it, and Mr. Brobes was there with me every, almost every hour there too. So we're definitely a, a two man team. Thank you. Thank you very much, Mr. Gross. And thank you all. And best of luck. And please be in touch with us if there's anything the school board do, can do to help you. Um, and reach out to us personally if you need a little bit of fundraising help. <laughs> so best of luck sure. to you. And thanks again. And Dr. Newton, I'm sorry. Can we do a picture? Yeah, that'd be great. Okay, great. I don't know if the hippo can fit up here, but. <laughs> Do you want to try it out?
Where do you want No, we'll leave that. We'll leave that over here. You guys are more important. Should we turn the robot around? Did we just see you? No, we do. Just let that work before. Up here. <laughs> okay. Uh, look at me first, okay? All right. All right. One, two. <laughs> Having a camera issue. Oh, there we go. All right. Mr. Knight. I got him. Thank okay. Thank you all again. Wonderful presentation. We're now going to move on to section 3.02, Scholastic Bowl Team. And I'll turn it back over to Dr. Noonan. Great. Um, it's my pleasure this evening to welcome Mr. John Pepper, who has been the coach of our uh, Scholastics Bowl team. Uh, I think he has some members of the team with him tonight. And so uh, we'll invite them up as well. And, and Mr. Pepper, I will, I'll turn it over to you or to the team. Um, to tell us a little bit about Scholastic Bowl. So I don't have a fancy presentation because um, all we do is answer trivia questions with buzzers. Um, <laughs> but um, we've had probably our most successful season um, in a long time um, for Scholastic Bowl. And I've got five of my seven members of the team with me. So I've got um, Hunter Hicks, um, Nicholas Pratt, Alexander Warner, Eileen Neal, and Avery Pike um, that are joining me. And I'll let them tell us about the season. Um, so. You, want to talk, 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 you can start with this academic if you want. Uh, sure. So, like the, it's kind of as Mr. Pepper explains, Scholastic Bowl is all about answering trivia questions. It's kind of like a sport, except it uses your brain a lot more than any other muscles. Um, but we started the season with, it's called It's Academic. It's a televised competition where we competed against, um, I don't remember the other schools. But it's like, um, I guess, I'm trying to think of it. Like, it's kind of like Jeopardy. Uh, and we were like like a point away from moving on in that, uh, so that was cool. And then from there, we moved on to the general season of Scholastic Bowl, which kind of follows a winter sports track. And from there, we were, we lose one, what was the record? Yeah, we lost one game in the regular season, went to regionals, and I think we were undefeated in regionals, and we beat Maggie Walker, which is uh, pretty exciting. And then from there, we moved on to States, where we went down to Williamsburg uh, for a little, little trek at States, and we got third place there. So it was all super fun, uh, made a lot of fun memories and connections, and uh, I think a lot of us enjoyed every minute of it. So, so 
so you know, it's, it's so Maggie Walker got classified with us back in 2013 or 14. Um, before that, Scholastic Bowl had had a run of winning pretty much the state championship every single year. Um, this was the first time we've beaten Maggie Walker since they were classified with us. They also moved with us to 3A when we moved to 3A, so this was a big deal. And then, um, unfortunately, states did not turn out as well as we had hoped. Uh, Rockbridge County, a really strong team, but we had a fantastic season. Unfortunately, I'm losing uh, a lot of my seniors. So if you know any eighth and ninth graders that really like trivia and like to be fast on their feet, uh, send them my way. But no, we're looking forward to having a, a really good season again next year. So thank you all so much. That's fantastic. Uh, how, one question I have for you, Hunter, how long before these competitions do you all get, like how long, how much preparation time is it? Um, well, what I think is really interesting is like, and I'm not gonna say I'm the best on the team, that's definitely not true. The kids that are like really good at it are just, I don't understand what they do, because it's just <laughs> incredible to watch. Uh, so we meet every week, and I think that starts kind of like maybe early October. And then when it gets closer to the big competitions, we might need more than that. And then we obviously like have competitions over like weeks too. But it, it's a lot less of a team. Well, it's a team sport, but at the same time, everybody's buzzing. It's not like two people answer one question at the same time. So I think you know it's a lot of like individual practice. There's a bunch of online stuff you can do. So I really don't know. I I, I don't understand what they're doing because they. I mean, Nick and AJ and AJ's not here. I don't and Xander too. I just don't get how they're so good at it. <laughs> well, and you don't have to explain it's academic. That show has been around for like 75 years. So that's pretty cool that you were on that show. That's uh, really proud of you all for representing us on that TV show. What do you, does anyone have any thoughts on how to recruit? So uh, it sounds like from Mr. Pepper, we're going to need to recruit some younger students in. My, of course, my idea was what we did when I was in high school, I'm not going to say what year that was, but um, we always had intramural scholastic bowl in the fall, and they would recruit from that oh. for those scholastic bowl teams. That's one idea. We have a whole bunch of little questions. It's the first time, um, Mr. Park. I want to really give a shout out to our new athletic director. He did us a huge favor. Um, for the first time in uh, years, we were, we went and purchased through NSQT, NAQT, who's the question maker for VHSL. Oh. Uh, we purchased like six previous years worth of questions, as well as lists of the most commonly asked topics. And so, part of what. Uh, Xander and AJ, who's not here, and Nick, they went through and memorized. Now, the lists are like 38 pages long of like who wrote this book and what year. And, and, and so they went through and memorized like four pages worth, which is, you know, hundreds and hundreds of works of literature and art and, mm -hmm. and you name it. So he, he does a huge favor to help us prepare for this. Um, and so we have all these question banks now that we never had in the past. So that's one way of going forward. Wow. That's great. Yeah, it seems like there definitely be students out there who would be really interested in this. So just getting the word out for sure. Does anyone have any questions? Yes. I have a quick question. I was hesitating to ask this because I didn't want to put you on the spot, but then I realized that's all you do is, is get <laughs> questions to put you on the spot. Uh, what are each of your strengths that you bring to the team? Uh, and and what do you, what do you, how do you help the team out? So a lot of us have overlapping um, uh, areas where we're really skilled at, which is very helpful because no one person can like really know all the science stuff. So if we can kind of collaborate, which is something that the other teams don't really often do that we're able to beat, uh, we can really reinforce our skills. Personally, I'm a science person as well as older history and military history. 
Nick is very good with politics and sort of more recent history. Hunter has uh, highly specific knowledge, which has come in uh, handy at times, like with coins. He's very good with that. Eileen is fantastic with literature and music. We can always depend on her for that. Avery also reinforces us with stuff like biology and other general knowledge. Uh, surprisingly, she has a lot of uh, knowledge that comes in handy with all of our areas. And AJ does really well with math, sports, which comes in handy surprisingly often. So those are what we do. AJ's not here, but he's our pop culture guy. He got a Beyonce question right at States and called her, <laughs> called her his queen um, when he answered it. Um, and the reader looked at him kind of funny. But he, he he's the only person I've ever seen. In, and Beaufay, who's a new teacher, was our reader. He read um, questions for us. We have to host two matches, and he read questions for us. Um, and he always would joke that he'd ask, ask all these really hard esoteric history questions. The kids would buzz right away. And then he'd be like, who won the Super Bowl in 2018? And the kids would just stare at him. <laughs> um, and so, but AJ could, like, you'd say two words in a sports question, he would get it right away away wow. um, which is which for scholastic pool it's not rare um, for you know a lot of kids but for scholastic pool it's rare um, <laughs> so that was helpful but the other fun thing is Eileen literally has the entire Bible memorized so um, if there's a Bible oh question she's going to get it <laughs> wow you guys make up a great team I tell you different expertise in all these different areas that's terrific well we please be in touch with the school board if there's anything that we can do to support you all I know some of you are going to be graduating and moving on to to more exciting things ahead, so best of luck to you. And uh, I hope that this will help you all, you know, get your get the word out that you know you're looking for new team members. And because I think this is definitely something that I, as a parent, know about, but I think we could really publicize it more to the students because it's a great opportunity for students for sure. So thank you very much, Dr. Noon. Did you have any, you want to take a picture? Yeah, I'd love to do a picture. But before we do, um, I just want to thank all of the seniors that are on the team, and each one of them um, has a really bright future. But I do have a question um, to put one of the members on the spot, only because um, he's done a lot of talking. Hunter, what is the um, what is the mascot of Stanford? Uh, it is the tree. Going to be a tree next year. Yeah, congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. All right, so congratulations to all of you. We'd love to have you join us up front, and uh, we will get a picture. You're in it as well. I'm not, I, I didn't answer any questions at States. <laughs> Okay, that was a fun way to get us started this evening. We are now on, moving on to section four, public hearing number three. 
let me catch up here. In accordance with school board policy BDDH, the time for each speaker is limited to three minutes. Ms. Goodell, do we have any speakers this evening? Uh, no one signed up. Okay. We are now moving on to section five. In accordance with school board policy BDDH, the time for each speaker is limited to three minutes. Additional written statements may be submitted to the clerk for dissemination to board members and for the record. And we do have, I believe, three speakers this evening. And I'll first call up Macy Brock. Could you please come to the podium? Uh, hi, my name's Macy Brock. I want to thank the school board for giving me this opportunity to speak here tonight. So I'm an eighth grader. I attend Henderson Middle School. And this past season, I was one of five female wrestlers on about a 30-person team. Uh, we're here tonight to ask for your support in the sanctioning of girls wrestling in the state of Virginia. My experience on the team was overall very positive, taught me lots about myself. It's built confidence and taught dedication, built strength both mentally and physically. I met some amazing people like my coaches and like fellow wrestlers like Audrey and Sonia over here. Uh, the Falls Church community was very supportive, especially with our girls' tournament we had um, for St. Patrick's Day. Uh, it's important to sanction girls' wrestling because girls want to wrestle with other girls, and I think I speak for most of us when we say that. Uh, just girls, we aren't, don't have the physical matchup when we're wrestling against other guys. Uh, wrestling teaches leadership, and we want to provide a safe and fair opportunity for girls all across Virginia to wrestle. So, uh, I mean, we're here to ask that you pass a resolution in support of sanctioning girls wrestling so we can grow the sport, uh, recruit new girls, and maybe one day I can have, or we could have a state tournament. Thank you. Thank you, Ms. Brock. Okay, next is uh, Audrey Pont. Uh, I would also like to thank the Falls Church City School Board for allowing me to speak. Um, this past winter, I wrestled on the Meridian High School wrestling team, and it was a really great experience. However, Virginia has a still long, a long way to go um, to sanction the sport of women's wrestling. In Falls Church City Schools, we strive to teach our children about equality. Why should wrestling be any different? Having the Falls Church City School Board adopt a resolution in support of sanctioning women's wrestling is an important step in having our words and deeds align. It is a step that the school board statewide can and should replicate. I've played a lot of sports in my life, soccer, basketball, all of it, you know, but I was drawn to wrestling. It helped me that I had friends like Macy and Senya who were enthusiastic about the sport and who encouraged me to give it a try and coaches like Rafiq and Perkins who actively recruited women to join the Mustang team. Wrestling has given me self-confidence, work ethic, determination, and some amazing friendships. I think many girls who might also benefit from wrestling will never experience the positive aspects of the sport because right now their only option is to wrestle against boys. Asking girls to wrestle boys at a time in our lives when our bodies are changing and developing is unfair to girls. When you look at a boy, you don't have a sense of his comparative strength and advantage in a sport like wrestling. 
Add to that the embarrassment many boys may feel to the prospect of wrestling and maybe even losing to a girl increases a female wrestler's chance of getting injured every time she steps onto a mat. Despite the fact that female wrestlers work just as hard as male wrestlers all season long, our accomplishments were not equally recognized within the state of Virginia. For example, the coaches' dinner to recognize varsity and JV wrestlers placed at the regional tournament, women wrestlers who placed at the girls' unofficial state tournament were not recognized. Why? Because women wrestling is not a sanction in the state of Virginia, and our tournament didn't count. Women's wrestling is the fastest growing sport in the United States, and it, the expansion of women's wrestling programs in, at colleges and universities is not only sustaining men's wrestling programs, but helping both programs to thrive. Yet in high, school, high schools across Virginia, the attention is skewed towards the boys and boys wrestling. Meridian High School is different, and thanks to our doctor, efforts of Dr. Hardy and our athletic department, we are forging a pathway to equality for women in the sport of wrestling. Thank you for your time. I hope you will seriously consider our request. Thank you, Ms. Pounds. And now, Senya Urbanum. I apologize if I mispronounced the last name. Hi, um, I'm Senya Urbalm. I'm a junior at Meridian High School, and I've been wrestling since I was a freshman. For my first two years of wrestling, I was the only girl to make it through the season. And I was really excited to see this year when I had four new teammates that created a great community and we had an incredible bond. I'm just here to urge the school board to support the sanctioning of girls wrestling. Um, I'd like to say that wrestling uh, offers something that no other high school sport can offer. And boys have um, really grown as um, from boys to men taking part in such a sport, but when girls are considering joining wrestling, there's a lot of obstacles that stand in their way. Thankfully, um, our coaches like Coach Rafiq and Coach Perkins are great advocates for female wrestling, and they've um, supported us by taking us to um, girls' wrestling tournaments, about three. But in other schools in Virginia, um, coaches have no... Um, even if they want to take the girls to uh, these tournaments, they might not have the resources. And if they don't want to, they don't have to because it's not a sanctioned sport. Um, female wrestlers in the past, even if they are super motivated athletes, have not been able to reach their full potential. And even female wrestlers right now uh, will not be able to wrestle to their full potential due to the fact that Virginia is behind on the sanctioning of female wrestling. Over half of the states in uh, America have already sanctioned female wrestling as a sport, and as a result, um, the numbers have just shot up, and girls are having the opportunity to wrestle and to learn from wrestling um, all the great benefits. So I'd just like to re reiterate the point that uh, the school board should support the sanctioning of female wrestling um, uh, to inspire girls that the lesson that just because you're a girl or a woman, that doesn't mean that there are things you aren't able to do. And this really should start um, in their youth and at schools and in sports. Thank you. Thank you, Ms. Urban.
And uh, traditionally, we don't make comments after public comment, but I will and just say thank you all for coming this evening. Um, and I've received feedback from the school board that we are in support of this. So we will be in touch with you. And just thank you again for coming this evening. Okay, we are going to now move on to section six, our closed meeting. If someone could make a motion to read us into close, please. Pursuant to the Virginia Freedom of Information Act, I move that the board convene a closed meeting for the following purpose, to discuss or consider the identified subject matter. Personnel under section 2.2-3711A1, in particular staff appointments, staff reassignments, staff resignations, staff retirements, staff performance, staff change in position, staff separation, dependent care leave, long-term medical leave, child care leave requests, and leave of absence, and advisory committee appointments, and student matters under section 2.2-3711A2, in particular non-resident employee tuition students and waiver of tuition under policy 9.21, temporary movement from the city. Thank you, Dr. Dimick. May I have a second? Thank you, Ms. Silverman. All in favor say yes. yes. Any opposed? Okay, thank you. So we will um, move into closed and Dr. Noonan, you think 10? Very, very brief. 10, 10 minutes or so. So we'll be back. Thank you.
Uh, Chair, I move that the board reconvene to open meeting. Thank you. May I have a second? Second. Thank you. All those in favor say yes. Yes. All those opposed say no. Great. Motion carries. We're now at 7.01, and I would like a motion to certify the closed meeting, please. Dr. Dimmick. Whereas the City of Falls Church School the Falls Church City School Board has convened a closed meeting on this date pursuant to an affirmative recorded vote and in accordance with the provisions of the Virginia Freedom of Information Act and whereas Section 2.2-3711B of the Code of Virginia requires a certification by this school board that such closed meetings was conducted in conformity with Virginia law. Now, therefore, be it resolved that the Falls Church City School Board hereby certifies that, to the best of each member's knowledge, only public business matters lawfully exempted from open meeting requirement by Virginia law were discussed in the closed meeting to which this certification applies, and only such public business matters as were identified in the motion convening the closed meeting were heard, discussed, or considered. Thank you, Dr. Dimmick. May I have a second, please? Second. Thank you, Dr. Ortiz. Ms. Goodell, could you take the roll? Dr. Dimmick? Yes. Ms. Downs? Yes. Dr. Gould? Yes. Dr. Ortiz? Yes. Mr. Reitinger? Yes. Ms. Silverman? Yes. And Ms. Tice? Yes. Thank you. Okay, thank you. We're now on our consent agenda. And I'd like to ask for unanimous consent to approve the consent agenda. And hearing no ob objections, the consent agenda is approved. We're now moving on to section nine, business action and information. And we're at 9.01, the superintendent's year in review. And I'll turn it over to Dr. Noonan. Thank you, Chair Downs. Good evening, members of the board. I thought I'd stand over here by my friend, Mr. Shields, our city manager. Hi, Mr. Shields. Welcome. Hello, <laughs> um, it's, it's my honor and privilege tonight uh, to be able to share with you a, a relatively high-level review of some things that we have worked on this year and give you a sense of kind of where we are headed. Um, so, so good evening again, and, and again, thank you for the opportunity. As I was uh, preparing this presentation, um, one of the things that I was reflecting on is that there have been for all of the troubles that we've had in the last couple of years, some really positive things that have happened in the, in the, the year, um, but also at the same time, some opportunities for growth for us as a school division. Um, and I think today's missive that was sent to the community with respect to our after action review of what happened at the high school on Thursday of last week is a good opportunity for us to reflect um, and to think about how we might do things differently. Um, as I get started this evening, and again, mine will be relatively quickly, uh, go through this relatively quickly, I do want to thank um, some members of the, all of the members, not some, all of the members of the leadership team, um, our teachers, our staff, our students, our parents, and our school board. Um, if it wasn't for all of you, uh, we wouldn't be where we are today. So as I go through this presentation this evening, one of the things that I uh, would invite you to do is to position yourself um, as part of these um, really great things that have happened. But also, as we get towards the end and we do some reflection, I would ask you to position yourself um, along with me to think about how we might be able to work through some of these um, solutions together. So now, I'm gonna slide over to this other podium. Just to keep you guessing about where I'm gonna be. All right. So. I'm actually going to put the first two of these up together 
Um, and and I, I would say this as I present these, one of the things that has become um, abundantly clear to me throughout this process of putting this um, very brief presentation together is that these goals, while they, they may be my goals for the year, they truly are our goals for the year. I, I'm not doing anything differently, I think, than what the school board or what our community or what our staff or what our students would expect. And it starts with keeping our schools open, um, along with navigating COVID. Um, I want to take you back to March of 2020, Friday the 13th. Um, it actually was Thursday the 12th of 2020, where um, Arlington, Alexandria, and the City of Falls Church decided to all close together at the same time, right at noon. Um, we had a coordinated effort that we went through to make sure that we were sort of as a block making a decision that we thought in that moment was the best decision on behalf of our students. Come a day later, uh, 24 hours later, the governor did close all the schools in Virginia. And for a significant amount of time, we were, we were out of school. And fast forward to this year. Um, this year, one of the things that we were committed to was doing everything possible to make sure that we remained open, regardless of what happened with respect to, um, to COVID. So as a consequence of that, one of the things that we had to focus our efforts on um, in a way that um, was significantly different, I think, than uh, perhaps when we first came back, because it was much more critical when we came back um, in terms of the intensity of service um, that we, as we opened the school year, we realized that we were in this for the long game. And so at that moment in time when we opened in August, we really needed to make some decisions that were, that were good for us um, as we move forward um, as, as a team and collectively. Um, there are some, some things that happened over the course of this year that I think were really good, um, that gave us an opportunity to do some reflection. One is with respect to mitigation. We realized very quickly what an amazing team we have of, of custodians and support staff and the like um, that, that deep cleaned our buildings every single night. We realized quickly that we have an amazing food services operation that continued to provide free and reduced lunch for free to all of the students that, that were able or not able to pay for free lunch as a consequence of, um, of a federal decision. That helped us keep our schools open. Another thing that helped us keep our schools open is um, our operations with respect to bus drivers and bus attendants and making sure that we had redundancy in the process to make sure that we could always keep our buses rolling. And unfortunately, um, during COVID, we did have opportunities that we had to go down to the extent that we had double runs, uh, for example, on a couple of occasions. But that was a creative, a creative solution that was developed with the help of Kristen Michael, our Chief Operating Officer, and uh, Michelle A. Johnson, who was um, amazing in her, her work. Um, we also realized very quickly how important technology was. And all of the operations that we saw um, happening helped us ultimately keep our schools open because almost like with the day you take an umbrella with you, it doesn't rain, we had all of these redundancies that were put in place that left us in a place where we were prepared for anything. Um, but in the end, we didn't have to, didn't have to close. Um, we saw some incredible communications come out that were really born from um, the, the pandemic, including now the every other week, um, RRR, the Roots Resiliency and Renewal, um, along with um, other communications from each of our schools. And so um, in the end, I'm, I'm very proud of the team, um, both our operations staff and our instructional staff and our chief academic officer, William Bates, and their work, uh, along with the entire leadership team to be able to keep our schools open. It wouldn't be fair to talk about COVID if we didn't mention um, Rebecca Sharp, 
uh, while I stand up here. She's standing behind me. I um, just want to send another shout out to Rebecca uh, for her incredible work as um, the Empress of COVID. And we are officially tonight taking that crown away from you. Okay, we'll take the name away, but not the crown. All right. Um, the next thing that we were able to do effectively this year um, that was a big goal as we headed into 2021-22 um, was prepare for a successful international baccalaureate evaluation. This evaluation, as you know, is, is one that um, we go through every five years. Um, it's a two-year process, and two years ago, uh, we began by doing an extensive and comprehensive self-evaluation and review. And through the extraordinary work of our IB um, team of Dan Coast, um, Rory Dippold, and Carrie Cheka, along with the support of our central office team and all of our principals, we were able to successfully navigate and complete the IB evaluation um, with no, uh, no issues to address. And for us, um, as we've mentioned before, that is not an insignificant feat considering what our evaluation five years ago looked like where there were a number of issues that needed to be addressed. And so um, as we headed into the school year, first was to remain open, the second was to navigate COVID, and the third was to successfully complete this IB evaluation. And we were able to do that K-12 in our system. The next is to finish the high school project. Um, I know that it's been said before, but in the, in the um, fog of COVID, one of the things that we were able to do um, was to complete a, a, a new state-of-the-art high school on behalf of the school board and the City of Falls Church. Um, I'm happy to report tonight that we're down to three items on the punch list, um, down from about 177 about three weeks ago. Um, we're down to three, and I think we're going to be able to, to lick those in the next week or so, and I'm very excited about that, which means that we can formally close out the project. Um, but it isn't something that ended when the year started. It was something that continued on, um, and now we have really an incredible, an incredible high school. I know I've shared this story with you before, and I'll, I'll share it again just for, um, just for a little laugh for those of you that may not have heard it. But um, when I was hired, um, I came in five years ago in April. And I was standing in the um, cafeteria at Mary Ellen Henderson. Mr. Reitinger might remember this. And I was, I was asked to make some remarks as the new superintendent. I stood up and I made some remarks. And I said out loud in front of the cafeteria, about 200 people were there, I'm so excited to build a new high school in the city of Falls Church. And the place erupted in laughter. And I went to the chair afterwards and I said, why is everybody laughing? And they said, we've been talking about this for 20 years. Good luck. And I said, well, we're going to get this done. And because of the, the school board, because of our team, because of the support of the general government, uh, the, the city council and the general government, we've been able to um, successfully complete this high school. And I'd like to say it's the last time I'll say this. Maybe not, but it was on time and it was on budget. And we're very, very pleased with that. Um, the next is to develop a five-year strategic plan. Um, as all of you know, for the last several years, we've been flying with a, a three-year plan. Um, and the three-year plan, uh, triennial plan, was great until we got to COVID. And then all planning went out the window. Um, I, I forget exactly what the expression is, but it's something like uh, a plan of attack is only as good as it, it, on paper as it is until you hit the ground. And when you hit the ground, everything else sort of overtakes you. And I think in many ways, um, that's what's happened to us. But um, again, we, we've been able to successfully navigate um, and I'm really proud of the work that our community has done and come together um, to do an, a general needs assessment with over a thousand points of input 
Um, we have teams of people that have come forward and have worked diligently on the new five-year strategic plan um, and has developed for us really what I would consider an excellent roadmap uh, for the future. Now, you all haven't seen the final product yet, um, but what I will tell you is that we expect um, a, a final draft um, within the next, actually, couple of days from Ed Elements, who's worked very closely with us based on some of the feedback that we've received. Um, and we're excited and, and really um, sort of juiced to be able to share that work with you um, because ultimately, in, and in the end, that will, that will provide us sort of with um, re rediscovering the joy of the work. And I, and I say that sort of cautiously, but, um, you know, the last two years, I would suggest, haven't been the most joyful for our, commu our community, for our students, for our staff, uh, and, and myself. And so one of the things that we're really excited about is sort of a new beginning. And this strategic plan allows us to engage in a new beginning. Um, last year in my evaluation, one of the questions that w uh, came up was an opportunity for me to grow professionally. Um, I think the, that Will Rogers said um, the right time to fix a roof is when, it's, when the sun is shining outside. Um, and, and I feel like um, that for me is a great opportunity to do some professional development. So um, in, as part of my evaluation, we had a conversation about potentially engaging in a 360 degree evaluation. Um, and, and so I've taken that challenge on, um, working along with um, CCL, which is the Center for Creative Leadership. Um, I've now, at this point, and, and it's taken a little longer than I anticipated, but have interviewed um, a number of executive coaches. Um, I've selected one and will begin working with an executive coach through CCL um, in the, uh, later in the um, spring. Um, as part of that work, we will be engaging in a 360-degree evaluation, and I think many people in this room will be given a protocol to help me uh, continue to learn about my own, my own leadership. Um, and from that 360-degree evaluation, the coach and I will develop a plan identifying two or three um, really strategic um, executive skills that will help me continue to grow as a leader. Um, one of the nice things uh, that we talked about, that the coach that I ended up selecting was, um, about 90% of the folks that he sees now are folks that are trying to build their skills. And having been a superintendent now for 10 years, one of the things that I'm really excited about is continuing to look at and invest not only in myself, but every time that I do that, I believe that I'm investing in the system as well and look forward to that work. And then um, the last thing that I am really excited and proud of that was a goal for this year was to administer this division-wide climate survey. This is something that we've talked about for a couple of years. Um, I always felt like um, during COVID was not the greatest time to do a climate survey. I'm not convinced that coming out of COVID is the right time to do a climate survey because I think that, that um, some of the staff couldn't be lower, but we did. And, and we did administer that um, this, this spring. And I want to thank uh, John Brett and Peter Weilandman and others who were um, working on that very closely and helped us get that out. Um, the climate survey was recently administered to all of our teachers and to all of our students, grades kindergarten through 12th. One of the nice things um, is that we are continually churning the data. Um, we do have the raw data and we're working through that, but in June, the school board will get a presentation from K-12 um, with information about the student data. So you'll get a chance to see how are our students feeling about where they are, um, and this time, we actually were, we also included a section about mental health. So you'll see some mental health questions in our middle and high school 
uh, results as well. And that will help us drive decision making forward. Um, and then in August, we expect that we'll be able to provide the staff feedback uh, to the school board. Um, there are, after looking at some of the raw data, there are a lot of positives that we see in all of the data, particularly with our students. Um, but at the same time, there are some things that are, are gut punches um, from a variety of perspectives, but really give us an opportunity, I think, again, to sort of grow as a division. So, um, so be on the lookout for, for that climate survey data um, coming to you soon. So again, um, our, our big ideas that we were paying attention to this year were, one, keeping schools open, the second, negotiating and navigating COVID, successful completion of the IB evaluation, finishing our high school project, developing a five-year strategic plan, professional development via 360-degree evaluation, and administer a division-wide climate survey. I would submit to the board and to anyone who might be listening at home that to do any of those two things in one year is probably enough. Um, but I, I think one of the things that you can be proud of as a board is we have an incredible staff that never, um, never says enough is enough, um, but we're close. <laughs> um, and I think right now, um, we're really excited to complete these things and begin to roll into um, the 22-23 school year. Um, I mentioned the IB work, and I want to take you back to those three major areas that we have been looking at for the last several years, IB, caring culture, and closing gaps and equity. Um, and I just want to report on those very briefly. Um, you know, as I indicated before, we did complete successfully our visitation and our reauthorization. Um, but at the same time, some really extraordinary curri curriculum conti work continues to happen um, to ensure that all of our students, regardless of whether you're an ESOL student, a special education student, a general education student, an honor student, uh, 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 a gifted and talented student, have access to our International Baccalaureate program. One of the things that, again, is really exciting about all of our teachers in the City of Falls Church is that we are open to providing access and developing opportunities for differentiation and scaffolding through curriculum work um, to, uh, uh, to allow all of our students to have access to those IB courses. What we know from the data um, that has been done a number of times and redone is that it's more important for students to experience the rigor of an international baccalaureate class than it is the grade that they get in, in that class because when they go to college or go into a post-secondary opportunity, they will have experienced the skill related, uh, the skills necessary um, related to that program to be successful in their next, their next journey. Um, there are 75 students, as I've mentioned before, in our diploma program this year. Um, this, of course, is the highest number of DP students that we've ever had. I'm really proud of that, and I'm really proud of the work that our PYP and our MYP students have done as well. Um, we recently had our PYP projects, and there's a number of people in this room that were uh, mentors for those PYP projects, and um, the, the work that these elementary students did was extraordinary. Um, as, as mentioned before to the board and maybe some of the members of the community, one of the things that we are continuing to look at is the career program development, um, which is part of the International Baccalaureate program. It's the fourth program, so we've got PYP, MYP, DP, and then the CP program. And the CP program is not, um, is not a watered-down version. It's not a version that is for students that are um, different. It's simply a program that focuses more on careers, um, and it provides an equal skill set to the International Baccalaureate Diploma program. The only difference is the focus. And we know that there are a number of students who have um, 
have designs on doing other things, perhaps, than going to college as their first opportunity. So by preparing them through that career program, um, we'll have some opportunities. And then the last thing I wanted to, to share with the board and the community that we've been working on is the Sustainability Academy, and I think everybody's well aware of that program at this point, um, but it dovetails very nicely into um, our work with IB. To the extent that, um, and I, I hope I'm not speaking out of turn, um, the, we did do a little recruiting during our, our IB visit, um, and there's someone who was on the visitation team who is being considered for the position as a sustainability coordinator. Um, I have to say, as we were going through the debrief, I said, don't you, don't you want to move to Northern Virginia? Aren't you looking for a job? And she said, would you call me and tell me a little bit more? And so we did, and she's considering coming. So um, we may have a really great person coming from North Carolina. Um, in terms of a caring culture, um, one of the things that we continue to focus on is the mental health of our students, as I indicated before, um, and seeing in some of those uh, data points from um, our student population that took the climate survey, there's a need. Um, there is an absolute need for us to continue building opportunities for students to see school psychologists, school social workers, continuing to work on teacher working conditions, because one of the things that we do know is that teacher working conditions are student learning conditions. Um, and lastly, um, as part of those working conditions, providing that full-time sub in each building that will allow teachers to actually meet with students one-on-one -on -one more, uh, be able to uh, attend meetings as needed, and the like. Um, some of the things that we're looking forward to next year as, some, as we went through the budget development is looking at release days for our grade level teams and our content teams. Um, the best professional development that's out there for our teachers is when they meet with each other. They build their skills, they build their content knowledge um, and the like, and these opportunities provide those chances for those teachers to come together. Um, we are looking uh, at continuing, possibly, we're trying to figure out the nuts and bolts of this, of the release days for mental health for, um, that we partnered with the Education Foundation on this year. Uh, as you know, the Ed Foundation paid for some of the activities for our teachers and teams to go out and participate in and we as a school system paid for the substitutes behind them. So it was a nice partnership between the Ed Foundation and the schools. And lastly, in terms of a caring culture, uh, in terms of working conditions, um, we are very proud um, to announce that um, about two weeks ago, our principals at the elementary schools revealed their new uh, master schedule for next year, and each of our elementary teachers um, that are content teachers will have at least 90 minutes of planning time each day. Um, and that's huge, uh, and, and much more than they had previously. So um, that's an important part of our caring culture and supporting um, our work. And lastly, I just want to talk about equity for a second. Um, you, you'll note in the budget that we have prepared for you uh, for adoption this evening, there are a number of things in there that prioritizes closing gaps for students. Um, we have a, a new uh, family parent liaison in our Family Resource Center over at Oak Street but we are looking at adding a half-time position at the high school because we know that there's a need uh, to be able to reach out to our community in different ways. Um, we have added math and literacy time, and one of the nice things about next year by providing those blocks of time for teachers is that they will get longer uninterrupted times for content as well. Right now, on a number of occasions, there are teachers who are splitting literacy blocks, um, so a student may come in, may have 15 minutes of a literacy block, go to a special, and then come back and finish their literacy block. And by the consolidation of time at the elementary schools, we've now created circumstances where those teachers will have longer math 
and literacy blocks that won't be as broken up as they are now. And that provides for excellent continuity of program and continuity of service. Um, I want to give a shout out to um, Dr. Jen Santiago uh, and William Bates, who've been um, working really diligently on the equity division leadership team. Um, and as, a, as an outgrowth of that, Dr. Santiago each month has published an equity newsletter that talks about all the things that we're doing with respect to equity. Uh, and we highly encourage the board and others in the community to look at that. And then also want to thank um, Amy Hall, our Director of Human Resources, for helping us in developing some hiring practices that is, is going to allow us to diversify our workforce. Um, and we're, we're very excited about that. Um, some opportunities for growth in leadership for, for me and for our division and, and for the school board. And this is where I would ask you to sort of come along with me on this journey to see how we may be able to partner together and collaborate even more. Um, the first is supporting our school advisory committees. Um, I, I've heard a lot of um, and, and witnessed some hand-wringing this year, more so than ever, around our work with um, school board advisories. And I think part of it is because we didn't have two years of advisories in person seeing each other. So we are coming out of a, a very dark time. But at the same time, there are some things that I think we can do together that will really help with the planning um, help with um, charges and some changes, um, perhaps as needed, and lastly, um, training for our, our leaders of those division, of uh, those uh, committees. So one thing that we've been um, talking about is starting this year, this coming school year, with a training for all of our school board advisory chairs, with all of the staff liaisons, and all of the school board members who are associated with those committees so that we are working together and collaboratively on behalf of the school division um, and look forward to, to sharing that. Um, our opportunity here around the strategic plan is to make sure that we get this thing off the ground right and really think about how we can launch this in a way that's effective and meaningful for our division. So we've, we've begun to think about how it's going to be introduced at convocation. We've thought about how it's going to be funded and part of the funding for the program or for the um, strategic plan is even in the budget tonight. Um, we've talked about how we're going to communicate with our community regarding our strategic plan going forward and, um, and we'll, it will take all of us to effectively do that and look forward to partnering with you on that. Um, in IB, um, again, supporting the development of our CP program. Um, and, and really supporting the community's depth of understanding of our IB program. We still have a number of parents out there who believe that the IB program is the diploma program at the high school, where if my student doesn't go into the diploma program or take an IB course at the high school, they're not in IB. And that couldn't be further from the truth. Um, the truth is that every single one of our elementary and every single one of our middle school kids all the way through 10th grade are part of the International Baccalaureate program. They just don't know it because it's seamlessly integrated into everything that we do. Um, so helping our, our community understand that with more depth of understanding is really important. In terms of a caring culture, um, we've been asked to effectuate um, a, a collective bargaining resolution agreement, which ultimately could potentially lead to a collective bargaining agreement. Um, there, are, there are members of the community and of the board that believe that that will help support our caring culture. And, and we are here to do that work. Um, we are looking at um, enhancing communication um, to support cohesion from top to bottom and bottom to top. 
One of the things that we hear continually, and this is a refrain just by the way in my, I've been, been now in five different school divisions. It's an unfortunate refrain that you hear in every school division, and that is the central office doesn't know what's going on. Um, or central office doesn't know what's happening in classrooms. And we're small enough that we shouldn't have that come up. That's something that we should be able to, um, be able to, to crack in terms of communication. But ensuring that all the way from the school board, all the way to the classroom, everybody understands what the priorities are, how we work together, how we communicate um, to ensure that there is that cohesive work going forward. But I think one of the places that we'll double down on um, is really figuring out how we can close that perception gap, excuse me, perception gap between schools and central office. And then with respect to equity, um, alleviating fear and concern of staff. I will share very candidly um, that the state politics have put our teachers in a position where they feel scared um, to continue doing some of the work that they've done with respect to equity uh, for fear of being turned in or you know, having their name turned into the hotline or whatever the case might be. And I, I wanna stand in front of you tonight and say that my, my goal with our staff is to um, continue to push them to be champions of equity and to continue doing the work that they've been doing because what they are doing ultimately is leveling the playing field for all of our kids and providing an opportunity for, for everyone in our division. Um, and to that extent, um, continuing to work on our curriculum reframing projects um, that are going on. So um, looking at all of our history content and making sure that we're reframing it in ways that uh, it can be seen and viewed uh, from multiple perspectives. That's one example. We're doing that across the curriculum. And then providing the division leadership team with the necessary resources to provide equity uh, resources and the like to all of our schools. So with respect to um, next steps around um, my personal evaluation that's coming up, um, I will be submitting to all of you uh, a written evaluation in the next week or week and a half. Um, you all will review those documents that I send over. There'll be an executive closed session to talk about the evaluation itself. There'll be a closed meeting to provide feedback and ultimately um, an evaluation of the superintendent. So with that, um, I am very excited <laughs> to have shared our year in review with you. Um, and again, a lot of these items that I've discussed tonight will be fleshed out further in my personal evaluation, but I do think that it's important for, um, for you and for the community and for the staff to recognize the really hard work of our teachers, of our students, of, our, our, um, uh, of you and, and our central office leadership, because um, without, without them and without you, we wouldn't be where we are today and uh, had made our way through that very exhaustive list of things that were earlier in the presentation. So Madam Chair, with that, I'd be happy to take any questions that you might have. Thank you so much, Dr. Noonan. Uh, any questions from the board? Yes, Mr. Ranger. Thank you very much, Dr. Noonan. It was indeed, I think, an impressive year under a lot of challenging conditions. And, you know, I, I think um, I, I speak for the board, although I don't normally do that, and say <laughs> you know, we, we appreciate all the work you have done and the work the central office has done and all of the staff, teachers and support staff throughout the school system. It's been a hard few years, and I think we've come through it quite strongly. Um, one, I guess a couple of questions. Um, first off, uh, before I get to the questions, um, thank you for updating us on the progress on the 360 and the coaching that you're getting. Um, you know, our, 
our desire, I think, is to have you um, be the superintendent here for a long time. And as a part of that, um, we want you to continue to grow and develop and uh, be a stronger superintendent and um, help us lead the school division even better. So that's a wonderful thing. Um, <clears throat> the first question is, have, have we done an examination? I know we've sort of moved on from we're operating in a COVID environment to we're not operating in a COVID environment anymore, at least a remote schooling environment. We're still affected by COVID. Um, there are things that we didn't like about that, but there are new techniques that we developed and new um, skills we've got and new technology we've deployed. Um, has, there, has there been an examination in part of the strategic plan development or otherwise on what we might want to take forward um, as a result of that experience? And I'll have one other question afterwards, but perhaps I should break and let you answer that one. No, it's a great question. Um, and I, I will say that there is um, some documentation um, that was done several months ago where we, we came together as a leadership team in particular and, and leadership team, when I talk about leadership team, I just want to make sure that I'm clear that it's myself, um, our leadership team that's here this evening, along with all of our principals, assistant principals, and directors uh, from all of the departments, um, and, and some leaders in our buildings, um, we, te teacher leaders in our buildings. We, we did sit down and have a very significant conversation about what do we want to keep, what do we want to modify, and what do we want to just abandon at this point? Because we don't want to do it anymore. Um, I, I can um, search for that document, but we've really started to engage in that by using, those, using that strategy as a tool to help us develop some of our practices moving forward. Um, and, and so one example uh, of something that we're keeping is the technology of being able to meet remotely. Um, you know, in, in this, day and age where gas is nearly $5 a gallon, um, and only, uh, we're only 2.2 square miles, so it's not that long of a drive. Um, but even, even that and being able to sit and, and talk with somebody quickly and have that FaceTime as opposed to a telephone call has been, has been really helpful. Uh, but there are some things that we would like to dump. Um, for example, um, one, of the, one of the strategies during, as we came out of COVID was the social distancing in classrooms. Um, and that didn't really speak to who we were as an organization. And those are two really simple um, examples, but um, a lot of the things that we are looking at keeping um, really sp uh, speak to some of the technology that was available. So yes, we've, we've done some of that. Thank you, Dr. Newton. You don't need to hunt up a, a historic document for me. The work's been done, I'm glad. Um, the, the, the more significant question, I'm gonna be very high level on this because I'm cognizant of the fact that some of this may be discussion that needs to take place with legal counsel in closed session. Um, but the comment you made about teachers being afraid to teach is really one of the scariest things I think I've heard during my entire time on the school board. And um, certainly the movement we've seen in different places around the country to make teachers personally liable for teaching the truth is about as oppositional to not only diversity, equity, inclusion, but the values on which this country is built as anything I can think of. So my question is, is there something we on a policy level should do about that? And what I'm thinking about is, you know, 
does it make sense for us to have a policy that will indemnify teachers and will provide legal counsel should any action be brought? Should we purchase insurance um, so that teachers can be supported and know they've got it? You know, doesn't even matter what anybody does to us. There's a private insurer that will step in and support them or provide legal counsel if they need it. There's different paths we could go on, and maybe those are, maybe the worries are significant, and maybe they're not. I just want to make sure that our teachers actually feel free to speak the truth and to represent the full spectrum of history and ideas we have in this country, as opposed to a idealized and um, discriminatory one. It's a really um, a great question, and I know that um, if, if there are teachers and staff that are listening tonight are super appreciative of you bringing that up and raising it. Um, I would like to confer with council on that to see what we might be able to do, um, because it's, it's not only in the classroom, but how our teachers are representing us at conferences. Um, we have some outstanding teachers that have been invited to come speak at conferences around equity and inclusion, where um, they've come to me and asked permission, um, which I've never asked for before, uh, because they wanted to make sure that if they spoke at an equity conference, they wouldn't be terminated. Um, so, so one of the things that um, we can explore is not only something from the board level, but even from the superintendent's level to make sure that there's appropriate cover. So I appreciate that. Thank you, Mr. Reidinger. Any other? Ms. Tice? Sure. Um, I, first, I just wanted to say thank you for that, and that would be fully supportive. Um, I just wanted to take a moment when I look at this list of all that um, has been accomplished in the last year. I'm, I'm exhausted just reading the list, so I just wanted to take a moment um, to just say yet again, thank you so much for your leadership and um, for working so hard with so many excellent people beside you um, to, to do all of these things that we're so proud of. I just want to say thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Ms. Tice. Any other comments? Okay. Uh, well, Dr. Noonan, thank you. We know this is the beginning of a process. I'll just throw um, a couple quick things. I really, um, of course, we are very proud of your leadership. You know, we often talk about the fact that this $120 million building was built on time, actually a little bit under budget. Um, and then throw in a pandemic. So, you know, I think that one of the things that, that I always feel badly about is that that's almost over, overlooked because of, because of the pandemic. So, uh, you know, we, and then, you know, we've got the IB reviews. So just, you know, on the heels of all of two years of a pandemic, just kudos to you. And, you know, you have an amazing team of uh, leaders in central office, terrific teachers, amazing operations staff. So we are really... Um, very, very fortunate to have such a strong team here at Falls Church City Public Schools. And I just wanted to throw in there, I really liked um, the slide, the opportunities for growth and leadership. I, I know that actually Ms. Tice had brought this up when she first came on the board about the advisory committee. So I think that's great to give them a little TLC and some support. And then um, also I really liked uh, the caring culture, talking about the, the communication top, bottom, bottom, top, and then that, um, you know, but that the enhancing the communication between the 
on the ground, the grassroots stuff and the central office. So I think those really, those pieces spoke out a lot to me because I think sometimes we hear those themes. So um, that's terrific. And I really appreciate you. I know this is a very <laughs> incredibly busy time that we asked you to do a presentation. So thank you for uh, for, for that. And as, as this, this is the beginning of a, of a process that I think we always, um, it's always very helpful for us as a board, and I think you as a superintendent. So it's a very constructive process. So thank you very much. Any other questions from anyone? Okay. I would just say thank you for the opportunity, and, and I'm only as good as the people who are around me, and the people in this room are, are those that carried all the water on this. So um, I'm super appreciative to them. So thanks. Thank you. Okay, we're going to move on now to uh, 9.02, adoption of the 2022-2023 school board operating budget. And so, Dr. Noon, do you want me to turn this back over to you then? Yeah, I have another <laughs> presentation for you. <laughs> Couldn't even catch your breath. <laughs> it's all right. This is, uh, this is going to be very, I, I, I hope, very quick, quick, but also at the same time, um, a nice review for the board and for our community. Um, and, and before I get started, I again want to give um, some thanks to some people. And first is Kristen Michael, our Chief Operating Officer, um, Michelle Kopic, who's with us tonight, our Budget Director, um, as well as all of our principals, our teacher leaders, and everyone else on the leadership team um, who helped us put together this um, budget, then ultimately to the board for making it your advertised budget and hopefully tonight, making it your approved budget. Um, there are some really positive things in here um, that I think only come when we're in a unique uh, period of time, and we certainly are in a unique, unique period of time um, with pent-up demand uh, around the state and otherwise um, that has allowed us to get a little bit stronger in the area of sales tax and others. So um, let, me, let me start by um, just reminding everybody um, in our strategic plan that I just mentioned we have our mission, our vision, the core values. You've seen these before. And at this point, we are in the um, present uh, the plan to all of you um, for kind of final review here in the next week or so. Um, you did get a preview of it at your retreat, um, just at a very super high level. Don't look at it for content. Just look at it for, for the pretty pictures. Um, but at the same time, we think that what's in there um, will really help us uh, move our system forward, particularly with the core values of academic success, being student-centered, providing inclusive and belonging community, being responsive and accountable to our community and stakeholders, and being um, looking at our community and connectiveness as well. So I want to, um, it's good actually that, that um, Mr. Shields is here this evening because I, I do want to take another opportunity to thank he and the City Council for their partnership. Um, and, and investment in our schools. Um, this is the fourth year in a row that we've come in at guidance, which has made the um, budget process, I think, very predictable um, and very helpful, I think, um, in many ways for both the council and for the school board um, with respect to um, looking at organic growth and kind of understanding where we're going to be. Um, the, that partnership has um, allowed us to do some pretty amazing things. Uh, including building the new high school. And this evening, you all uh, will approve some easements to get the 10-acre site next to our building um, going. And we're, we're very excited about that. So the approved budget, um, and I want to start just very quickly with revenue. Um, some of the local funding, I'll start there. Um, or, organic, gre <laughs> sorry, I've been talking a little bit too much tonight, I think. Uh, organic revenue originally was forecasted to be 8.4% in December. 
Um, and as you may recall, we did um, build the budget based on the fact that the governor may eliminate the grocery tax. Um, so that organic growth was dropped to 6.3 uh, million dollars or 5.5, uh, 6.3% or 5.5 million dollars. Um, using the methodology of that revenue sharing agreement, um, that would mean that the schools would get half of that, which is 2.75 uh, million dollars. And then um, when the council adopted their budget on May 2nd, the organic growth was higher, um, but they made some decisions at the city council to do some tax reductions uh, to the extent that they reduced taxes by nine cents um, per hundred dollars of assessed value. So the tax rate will go from $1.32 to $1.23. Um, and then they included some um, expenditures of that set aside uh, to take care of some other uh, taxing um, taxing issues that they were dealing with the community and, and particularly local businesses on, um, which allowed us to then access $50,000 of that $1.02 million. Our state revenue, um, state aid, is expected to go up um, this year uh, by $527,000, and a lot of that um, is for um, going to go to compensation funding and holding harmless our schools for ADM, as you may recall, and then um, looking at doing some rebenchmarking in case there is an elimination of that grocery tax. And then sales tax is projected to increase by 13.9% um, to by about $422,000. And although the state budget hasn't been finalized, if you look at the House version and you look at the Senate version, um, we took the average of both and have included an extra $100,000 in this budget um, which gets us um, a little bit more revenue, and we're very excited about that. Unfortunately, we are looking at a decrease in federal revenue. Um, that's Title I, Title II, Title III, IDEA, um, uh, and the like. And then we are carrying forward uh, beginning balance of $450,000 from year end um, to put into the operating budget. It's not a... Um, it's, it's not a bad idea for us, uh, even though it's one-time money, to use that small amount to help us balance the budget. We've done it every year and been successful. And then we are um, looking at um, some revenue for a number of things, including tuition, stop barn cameras, uh, tuition, uh, I said that, all right, fees of about $841,000. So you'll see on the next slide um, where our revenues come from. 81% um, does come from our locality. Um, for those of you that, that know about um, the LCI, the Local Composite Index, we are a 0.8, so we are expected to get roughly 80% of our, at least 80, not roughly, but at least 80% of our revenue from the locality because of our overall wealth index uh, respective to the state. And so we are at 81%. We get about 15% from the state, 1% from the federal government, and about 2% from fees and 1% from um, other uh, beginning balance. So you'll see that our total revenue picture is about $3.8 million, and that's our starting point when it comes to um, our expenditures. When we think about expenditures, um, we did look at them in three big buckets. The first was employee compensation. We believe that our teachers and our staff are our greatest asset here in the City of Falls Church, and it also helps us with recruitment, helps us with retention, um, and the like. And so we have committed of that um, pot um, $3.8 million in employee compensation. We've also put in $1.1 million in working conditions for our teachers. And so some of the things that you'll see um, in there are dealing with um, mental health. You'll see some um, well-being, some academic support, um, some also some opportunities for teachers to have some time uh, to plan 
and the like. And then the last is school, school investments. And this is to require, uh, helps us require that maintenance of effort with respect to programming and support. When we think about compensation um, and it being our highest priority, we are offering um, a, a step this year for all of our employees, but we also are talking about doing a recovery step for those, for those teachers that were here and missed the step two years ago. Um, the cost for that is about $1.6 million. We also have been able to, by cobbling some funds together, um, increase our cost of living adjustment from 2% uh, up to 3%, and we're really excited about that. Um, while it's only 1%, it does a couple of things. One is that it gets almost all of our employees um, that were eligible for that step and that recovery step along with the COLA to be getting in excess of an 8% increase in their salaries. But the other thing that the 3% does is it also raises our overall salary scale by 3%. So when you look at it comparatively to other surrounding jurisdictions, we actually become more competitive. And the only way we can become more competitive is through that cost of living adjustment, because that's the only way that our scale goes up. So we're really, really pleased to be able to do that. Some other things in terms of compensation, um, we have increased the stipend for our nationally board certified teachers from <clears throat> $1,000 to $3,000. That was something that the board requested and we were able to successfully, successfully do. Um, our health insurance rates are going up, but they're going up at a lower percentage than we anticipated. Instead of 10%, they actually are going up 7%. Um, and so there's a $238,000 amount in there for that. Um, and just as a reminder, um, one, of the, one of the places that we do find some efficiency is that the Fairfax, uh, Fairfax, the Falls Church City Public Schools, along with the general government, participate in the same health insurance plan. Um, we, we were hoping that um, there would be a decrease in the Virginia Retirement System uh, contribution. That didn't happen, so we are not changing anything with respect to our uh, retirement contributions. The next several things that are listed are all um, working conditions. I won't read through all of them, but I do want to pick up on a couple of them in particular because they really are designated to help support our teachers. And to my presentation a little bit earlier, some of the things that it's doing is also allowing for more intervention. So at Mount Daniel and at Oak Street, um, we have some interventions for math, mathematics that are part-time, and those will come to full-time next year. Math is one of the areas where we struggled the most coming out of the pandemic, so it gives us an opportunity to dig a little deeper and to work with students um, more closely. At Mary Ellen Henderson, we are adding a position. Um, you may recall this year we have some teachers that are teaching six periods as opposed to five, um, so this would take care of that issue. In the next slide, we are um, bringing in the part-time parent liaison that I mentioned as part of the uh, uh, presentation prior. Um, the next one is a big one, and that's that permanent substitute for each school. Um, I think if the staff and the administrators were going to stand up and give a standing ovation for the budget, this might be the one thing that they would give a standing ovation for, beyond, of course, the, the raises, um, because it really does provide them continuity of support when teachers are out or teachers need to attend a meeting or a teacher just needs a, a break. Um, having that person on staff to be able to deploy at, um, at the direction of the staff is, is really um, significant. Um, some things you'll see in here also is playground supervision to relieve our teachers. This does provide two hours per day for two staff members at Mount Daniel and at Oak Street to cover recess so our teachers won't have to do that. Um, we increased the professional development by $100,000. As I mentioned in my presentation just prior, one of the things that we're really excited about 
is offering some time for our teachers to have off-campus time to do some planning. And this $100,000 will help increase that opportunity for them. On the next slide, we have a, an additional school nurse. We'll be contracting with Fairfax County's Health Department to do that. We don't have any nurses that are specific to Falls Church because of an MOU that we have. Um, but we're very excited to bring somebody in, especially post-COVID. Now we'll have two school nurses in our division, which is really important. We have a school psychologist, and then we're doing some technology uh, work as well. Um, we need some support with our system-wide technology, so we are looking at an engineer. And then we're reclassifying some of our support uh, employees in instructional technology. Um, and, and we are looking at a tech educator there. Um, on the next slide, um, you'll see um, some additional uh, preschool registration, clinic support. Um, we added some money for students that will be attending Thomas Jefferson High School for Science and Technology. We got another slot, and we needed to make sure that that was taken care of. Um, we have some vehicle maintenance. And then there's $209,000 in here um, that is really operational adjustments because of inflation right now. So we're making some adjustments with respect to materials and also insurance and our contract with Securitas. So all of that exceeds the amount that we actually have appropriated to us by the state and by the local government. So where did we see some reductions? Um, one of the things we were able to capture was $550,000 in salary lapse. That nearly pays for our step, um, Mr. Reitinger. Um, <laughs> I want to make sure that you, you know that. Um, we also are seeing some um, savings in the transitional retirement program that was offered several years ago in 2002, 2003, uh, and are starting to move out of that. Um, we're seeing some savings in our other post-employment benefits as well as city retirement. And then um, we are reducing um, the amount in the superintendent's innovation fund by $18,000, and that's actually to increase the national, um, uh, the board certified stipends. Um, on the next slide, you'll see um, some additional one-time funding opportunities. Um, we are um, anxiously awaiting uh, where we're going to land with the state to see if that $1.2 million will still come through with the budget at the state level. If it does, that money will be used to provide um, a secure vestibule and um, better ADA access at Oak Street. I want to be really clear. We have ADA access at Oak Street. It's been said a couple of times by some that we don't, but we do. Um, it just it's on the uh, other side of the, of the school. It's not on the front. Um, we are looking forward to replace Well, I don't know if we're looking forward to it, but we're, we're anxious to um, upgrade um, and replace all of the HVAC systems at Mary Ellen Henderson. It's hard to believe that that's 20 years old, that building. Um, and what's great about that is that m the vast majority of the HVAC rate replacement will be paid for out of ARPA funds um, and um, some other uh, governmental funds. We have set aside in one-time year-end balance $300,000 for collective bargaining and um, an additional $100,000 for textbooks, which, by the way, are on display at the central office. If anybody wants to come by and look at the textbooks from the community or from the school board, um, you're certainly welcome to come by and look at our um, world language textbooks. So the, the next slide is um, the approved budget and expenditures. The main thing um, that I want to point out here um, in, the, in the expenditures is that that actually matches what our revenue is, $3.8 million. Um, so we have a nice balanced budget going forward. And then if you look at the next slide, you'll see where we spend our money. Um, the vast majority of our money is spent in the City of Falls Church Schools on our teachers and our staff. 86% um, goes to salary and benefits. We have a small amount that goes to contracted services, materials, utilities, capital, 
and transfers and reserves. Um, and, and I think that that's really an important component to our budget. Um, some changes from the advertised budget. Um, we are looking at an increase of $100,000 in the state revenue. Um, we are looking at a $50,000 increase from our local transfer. And then to offset that, we have increased the COLA from 2.25 to 3.0. Um, and we also took, uh, took a little bit more out of our turnover, um, which is reflected in our, in our budget. So um, that's how we were able to get to that 3% additional cost of living adjustment. So here's the summary. Um, we are growing um, by 7.1%, um, although the, the general government and city council transferred 6.3%. Um, we, are, we are moving to a 7.1%, and that's because when you add in addition to our local funding, our state and federal funding, um, but I would, I would say once again um, with great pride um, that we were able to come in with a balanced budget that meets the needs of our full staff, um, but not only compensation-wise but working conditions, and we did it while um, maintaining guidance from the City Council. So um, I want to thank you very much. Uh, for an opportunity to build uh, another budget here in the City of Falls Church. This is my fifth, um, and, uh, and each time they're, they're joyful in many ways. I think many people are, are sad about budgets, but I'm actually joyful about it because it really does for us speak to our values, and I think that that's what budgets do. And um, I think that this budget speaks to the value of our teachers, speaks to the value of our staff, and also speaks to the value of the importance of working conditions for our, our folks in the, in the schools. So with that, Madam Chair, I'll, I'll turn it back over to you for any questions. Um, Ms. Um, Michael is available, and, and uh, we are both available for any questions that you might have. Thank you so much for that presentation, Dr. Noonan. Yes, Ms. Silverman. So um, I, I was looking, I was actually going through the, the big binder budget proposal from um, earlier this year, and it talked about the safety and access improvements to Oak Street. So that is not currently funded. That's only if the government, if the governor, the state government approves the one-time construction fund. Is that right? That's correct. So that would be an unfunded project if that does not get passed by the state. That's correct. And at that point, what we would do is we would look internally for one-time funding and then also work with our partners in the general government to see if there's some way that they may be able to help us as well. Okay, can you give some examples of what needs to be done at Oak Street and like what's part of that? Sure, point, um, so if you, look at, if you look at the front of Oak Street, um, all that's in the front are stairs. Um, there's no ramp for ADA access. So um, there's also some significant stormwater issues on the right-hand side where the rain barrels are that need to be taken care of. Um, so that, that's one thing. Um, some, some other things that we would do would be to update the facade. Um, look at, and, and I'll turn it over to Ms. Michael. She has some additional things that she probably would add. But the main thing is to, to look at that ADA compliance. And then Oak Street Elementary is our only school that doesn't have a secure vestibule. Right. So at all of our other sites, um, you're able to check in with Securitas prior to entering the school. But at Oak Street, you actually have to go into the office. Right. So we would like to ensure that we have a secure vestibule at Oak Street. Okay. So in your amendment, in your offered amendment tonight, there is the stormwater facility maintenance. So that, that piece of the That Oak takes Street, care of some of it, yes. Some of it. Okay. So there's still a deficit of, if the stormwater facility maintenance is 72000 you're still at about a million dollars. We're a million plus deficit if we don't get the money from the state government. Yes. Okay. Thank you. Great question. Thank you, Ms. Silverman. Any other questions? 
Yes, Mr. Reininger. Thank you, Chair. So less a question about this budget, Dr. Noonan, and more about going forward in terms of salaries. Um, <clears throat> I think we've done a very good job this year, helped by the fact that enrollment has not been increasing overly to do the recovery step and a COLA of 3%. But, you know, it is, it is clear that cost of living is going up more than 3%, and it is also clear that there's a massive shortage of teachers. Um, <clears throat> and so in the past, we've occasionally done uh, recalibrations of the scales um, to make sure that we're competitive in particular with Arlington. And I'm just wondering if, you know, I don't think we've done a full one of those since you came on board, whether it's about time after five years or so to go in and take a look at surrounding school districts, particularly Arlington, and look at how we compare across um, all of the teacher and then um, administrative and support staff to see if we're competitive and if we need to make not just, you know, 3% across the board or 2% across the board, but we actually need to make more significant investments in buckets where we're behind or where there's really significant competition. Um, and I, you know, I think about the, the challenges we have in, you know, getting hard science teachers um, and some additional things. So I just, I want to make sure that we, we don't pat ourselves on the back too hard and also set ourselves up for failure in the failure in the future by not being honest perhaps with the city council and the general government about a train that's coming down the tracks um, sooner than we would like. I, I think it's a, um, a fair statement and a, and a great question. And one of the things that I, I'll reiterate um, that we've talked about internally is that we are committed to doing a salary study this coming year um, in time for the next budget so that we'll know um, what we're seeing, for example, is we're seeing some pretty good compression, particularly with our assistant principals and in a couple of areas mid-scale for some of our teachers. Um, and we'd like to resolve some of that. And so um, any, well, not just teachers, but all of our, all of our folks. So um, we are planning to do a compensation study and we'll be bringing that to you in the fall um, that will become then part of our budget process going forward. So just from a timing, you're saying those results of that report will be ready by the fall? Yeah, uh, they'll be ready in time for the budget. So the first budget presentation is typically, I want to say, October, November. So right in that time frame, we'll have it done. We're, there are a number of school divisions that have done it recently. So our hope is that we actually can co-op one of those um, and, and utilize some of that data. Thank you, and, and I agree with Mr. Reininger looking at surrounding school systems. I know that um, some are going to be receiving 10, 11% increases, and, and you know, I know that city council often talks about uh, our salary increases versus city council or city staff, but that to me that's apples and oranges. I, under, I appreciate that, but we're, we're competing against Arlington for teachers and Fairfax for teachers, and so um, although we always want to keep in mind our, our uh, general government employees, again, it's, it's when our surrounding school systems are giving 10% increases, um, it's hard for us to get, get the best teachers. And so. our, our, great, our competitor next door is one of those school systems that's giving double digit 
um, raises. So Arlington, in some cases, there are some staff that are getting 15% raises. So we are, we're in a situation where we're going to have to work with the city council to help them understand um, that we can't, we can't fall behind any further than we are now. And that may mean um, more than needing, needing much more than what we've asked for in the past to remain competitive. Thank you, Dr. Newton. Any other comments or questions? Question. Yes. And I know we're talking about next year's budget, um, but the salary study, um, how much does that account or focus on uh, uh, paraprofessionals, instructional aides, resource um, hourly? I think that's the, that's, uh, I know that's an area of focus that this board is going to be very interested in supporting for next year. So our intent is to do a salary study with all uh, positions. Okay, thank you. So if that's, um, if there are no other questions or comments, if I, I am seeking, right, okay, I thought I heard something. I am seeking a motion to adopt uh, the 2022-2023 school operating budget. Yes, Ms. Silverman. I move that the Falls Church City School Board, off, wait, uh, we're at 9.02. No, that's okay, we're at 9.02. I was on the wrong one, looking ahead. Uh, I move that the school board adopt the 2022-2023 school operating fund budget in the amount of $57,593,558, requiring a city appropriation of $47,596,657, as detailed in the school board's advertised budget with the following modifications. Increase the cost of living for employees from 2.25% to 3% at a cost of $300,000 by increasing the amount of budgeted salary turnover by $150,000 and recognizing an additional $50,000 in the local transfer from the general government and $100,000 in projected state funding. Thank you, Ms. Silverman. May I have a second? Second. Thank you, Vice Chair Gould. All those in favor say yes. 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 All those opposed say no. Great, thank you, motion carries. Okay, now we're moving on to section 9.03, adoption of the 2022-2023 school, school food services budget. And Dr. Noonan. I'm actually gonna turn the next two um, items over to um, our chief operating officer, Ms. Michael. Thank you so much. For the motions for school food service and community services, we have no adjustments from the advertised budget. Um, their salary budgets were built, their self-supporting funds with enough flexibility that we didn't make any specific adjustments. So the motions that you're reading tonight are the same as they were at the advertised budget. Thank you. Thank you, Ms. Michael. Therefore, I'd like to seek a motion at 9.03 um, to adopt the school food services budget. I can make a motion. Yes, Vice Chair Gould. I move that the school board adopt the 2021-2022 school food services budget with receipts and disbursements in the amount of $1,105,200 as detailed in the school board's advertised budget. Thank you, Vice Chair Gould. May I have a second? Second. Thank you, Dr. Dimmick. All those in favor say yes. 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 All those opposed say no. Thank you, motion carries. Madam Chair. Oh. Can we correct the year on that? Oh. 
Oh, that's uh, it's not your fault, Vice Chair Gould. It's um, it's written in the motion we incorrectly. Have, so yeah. should we just re? Have I, him? I would, um, if you wouldn't mind redoing it, that would be great. Yeah. So it's just written wrong. So it would be twenty twenty. We had a few things this week, and and I had some it's been of a busy them. Week. Others I don't had know some, what, and I'm some, really some, sorry. Something's it's unusual. That's okay for all of us. I'm glad whoever. Thank you, Marty, or whoever caught that. I often live in the past, so it's okay. So I move that the school board adopt the 2022-2023 school food services budget with receipts and disbursements in the amount of $1,105,200 as detailed in the school board's advertised budget. Thank you, Vice Chair Gould. Second. Thank you, Dr. Demick. All those in favor say yes. 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 All those opposed say no. Thank you. The motion carries. Okay, now we're at 9.04, adoption of the 2022-2023 Community Services Fund budget. And would it be okay just to move ahead with the motion? Could I have a motion, please? Yes, Ms. Silverman. I have to change move, that year. Yes, <laughs> yes. I'm, I'm trying to remember as I'm reading. <laughs> I move that the school board adopt the 2022-2023 Community Services Fund budget in the amount of $2,310,700, requiring a total city appropriation of $107,500, as detailed in the school board's advertised budget. Thank you, Ms. Silverman. May I have a second, please? Second. Thank you, Ms. Tice. All those in favor say yes. Yes. All those opposed say no. Thank you. The motion carries. Well, congratulations and thank, thank you, you to everyone. Let's give a quick round of applause. <laughs> and uh, very exciting and a, and a great budget that will support our teachers and our staff, our operations side of the house, our, and our students. So thank you very much. And to all those in the room, especially another shout out to Ms. Michael and Ms. Kopic for all of your work on this budget. Okay, we're gonna move on now to 9.05, um, and this is actually, we'll now be talking about the current um, school, the current budget uh, as we close out this fiscal year. So this is FY 2022 budget amendment, and I'll turn it over to Dr. Noonan. Thank you, uh, Madam Chair. This, this evening you all are um, faced with a couple of budget uh, amendments and some appropriation changes. Um, I have not heard from, from all of you, but I've heard from a couple of you about one item in particular, and I wanted to speak to that before Ms. Michael goes through um, this, uh, this process. Um, and it was about the interactive displays for preschool, elementary, and middle school. Um, just, I just wanna make sure everybody knows that um, at the middle school and the elementary schools, we are currently using smart board technology, and we're not actually using smart board technology at um, the middle school, we're only using projectors onto white screens, um, so it's not an interactive board. Um, we do plan to pilot um, a, a board that we're looking at that we're really excited about with our teachers. Um, our teachers have been asking for these uh, for quite some time. Um, we've, we've found that the price dropped on that from 750000 if we buy them, to $450,000. Um, but we wouldn't purchase any boards until such time as we felt like our pilot was successful. Um, but there is one additional um, piece of information that I want to share with you that came out in today's debrief of what happened last Thursday. Um, in the um, high school with the clear touch boards, one of the things that your children may have told you is that when there's a drill, the administration can send messages that, that turn those boards on and flash a message that, say, that says this is a drill or um, in the case of an emergency response, if you're on the third floor, for example, please exit through the west uh, stairwell. Um, that's one of the values of having these boards in our buildings. 
Um, at the middle school, we don't have those. And because we're now a combined campus altogether, um, one thing that we are looking at doing is making sure that all of the technology across the campus sort of talks to each other. And so by putting these at least in the middle school allows us to have that functionality in the case of an emergency, um, but also allows for instructional use um, that our teachers have been asking for as well. Um, so the $450,000 would be allocated, but wouldn't necessar necessarily be spent right now. Um, and it is out of, out of year end. Um, but if you don't adopt it now, um, we would have to go back to the city council later for an appropriation once it was time to purchase these boards. So we're trying in many ways to um, uh, eliminate the necessity for that. Um, I, I know that um, my, my partner over there, Mr. Shields, and I try to keep as much off your plates as we possibly can, um, but this allows us to do that. So um, with that, I'll turn it over to Ms. Michael. Um, but that was the only thing, by the way, that I had heard from anybody about was some questions about those interactive displays. And this really is to bring up the, the level of technology in all of our schools. Ms. Michael. Thank you so much. So in the FY23 budget presentation that Dr. Noonan just went through and that you adopted, we had included some one-time funding items that we had been discussing, but they weren't, they weren't included in the total fund amounts that you appropriated. And that's because they're one-time items and to include them in that recurring base causes um, challenges with comparisons when you're looking year over year. So included in these amendments tonight are some of the items that we've talked about for FY23. So the first on the list is the HVAC replacement at Mary Ellen Henderson. Um, through some gracious support from City Council who provided us with ARPA funding that they had previously appropriated for us, combined with federal funding and then 600,000 in local funding, we're hoping to replace all of the HVAC units at Mary Ellen Henderson this summer. Um, those are currently out to bid, so once those final bids will come in, um, we'll tell you what that final total is and we'll only tell you, or we'll only spend um, what's included in the bids and we'll come back and tell you what that actual cost is compared to this estimate. So that's the first item on the list. Um, the second item is collective bargaining. Um, we had asked for the board's approval for up to 300,000 in one-time funding to help us with collective bargaining. And we will only use that funding for board approved expenditures. So thus far with support from Sands Anderson, um, we've spent about $2,700 in terms of that support. And we're also paying a stipend to our um, teacher representatives and support staff representatives on that committee. Um, so again, we're asking to appropriate that funding and then we'll um, come back to the board and work with the board in terms of expending it at your direction. And we have the $100,000 here for the world language textbooks um, that Dr. Noonan indicated are available for people to see at central office. And then when we look at the items from one-time funding um, for this year, the first thing is we would like to replace teacher laptops at preschool and elementary. So we've had a standard practice of every four years when we replace our laptops, we get new laptops for the middle and high school students and staff. Then all of their previous laptops are recycled and they go down to the elementary level. So our elementary teachers have old computers <coughs> and they've been very vocal in terms of they need new technology and they do, right? Long term our strategy should be when we replace them for the other teachers, they should be replaced as well. So this funding of 150,000 will allow us to replace all of those. And again, we'd like to get them ready so they can have them when school starts in the fall. Um, the next item was the interactive display boards that Dr. Noonan discussed. Um, in total, that's about 160 classrooms for that. <coughs> 
So looking at each board, it's just under $3,000 per board for the board and the installation. Looking at a contract that a surrounding school division recently bid. The next item is flooring at Maryland Henderson. The board previously had approved funding for us to replace the flooring at the um, first floor, which looks very lovely when you come into the building. Um, but we would like to also finish replacing the flooring in that building. It's the original flooring. I mean, we need to do the lower level excluding the gym and the upper two floors. And again, we would like to complete that over the summer. Um, so all of that um, in total is that $444,000. <coughs> the next item is stormwater facility maintenance at Oak Street Elementary. Um, Oak Street Elementary's um, stormwater management system truly needs some, some maintenance. Um, we have gotten a quote. Um, we've been working with our partners at the general government who are very grateful for their support. So as we look at maintaining those, we have better stormwater management. We need to do a lot of weed pulling, removing invasive grass, um, deep cleaning to ensure that they're functioning. And then the last item that we have is we had cisterns originally installed in that building, and they are overflowing and causing water intrusion into the building. And they are not part of our stormwater system. So this quote would remove those cisterns and allow us to do some drainage repair on that side of the building. So that totaled 72,000. The next item, the school board had previously approved us to apply for electric school buses. Um, this total 710,000, half of it will be funded through the Virginia DEQ, Department of Environmental Quality, um, Clean School Bus Program. Um, we're super excited about those buses. We're working with Dominion in terms of the charging infrastructure, and we are expecting them to be delivered over this summer. And then the last item is support for food service. Um, our food service program is fully self-supporting. Pre-pandemic, um, they were um, self-supporting until the last year pre-pandemic. Um, during the pandemic, we've maintained all of their staffing. They did a lot in terms of supporting the community with food boxes and other items. Um, but we have been spending down their ending balance, including previous support from the school board of $500,000. So we would again like to request support for the food service fund. So in the event, when we go back in the fall to charging regular prices for lunch and um, breakfast, um, if they cannot fully self-support that program, we would have this ending balance to provide us with flexibility while we made adjustments to that program. So thank you so much for consideration of funding these items this evening. Thank you, Ms. Michael. Any questions or comments from the board? Yes, Ms. Silverman. So I'm curious if, if the state doesn't pass the uh, school construction bill, um, you know, is that also, you know, are, are we able to consider that as well as part of the amendment? Um, you know, what's the deficit now that you've gotten some of that piece fulfilled? Um, you know, I, I'm just curious, like, why, why, why were these priorities and not that priority? And, you know, are these the priorities that you feel are just the most important and then that's while well, everything is important that's right. the least important you know how do we balance those no, it's, a, it's a great question um, I, I'll start and then I'll, I'll let Kristen kind of fill in some of the detail we we did go through the process of working with all of our um, school folks identifying what were the priorities um, and you're right all of it is a priority and we were looking at external funding for that work at Oak Street um, if it doesn't come through, we may have some other options and alternatives to um, seek funding for that. So, Ms. Michael, do you want to talk yes, about that? Yes, thank you so much for that question. It's really a timing issue. When we look at doing the work at Oak Street Elementary, it's going to take us time. We're going to have to go through a competitive bid process. 
So there's there's no opportunity at all for that work to be done over the summer. And the items that we put on this list really are time sensitive, meaning if we start working on them now, we can be very well prepared for school opening in the fall. So they are the critical things to do now. Um, our hope is that once the state budget is finalized, we'll know if we receive that state funding. Um, and then depending on what that state funding amount is, if it's the full amount that we're expecting or another amount or zero, right, then we will develop alternative plans and come back to the school board. But that process will take longer um, because we're going to need to go through a design and competitive bid process for that work. Thank you, Ms. Silverman. Clarifying, oh, sorry. Yes, no, go ahead. Um, Clarifying question about the stormwater, was that included in the million or, how, or in the, that we talked about earlier, or was that? Um, they were separate. Thanks. So the million dollars in the FY23 budget presentation um, was for the secure vestibule and the ADA access. So this isn't in, the stormwater is not in the total in the FY23 budget presentation. And I, I confused those two, just so okay. you know. But it's all part of the front of, of, of okay. Oak Street. Okay. I have other questions. Yes, go ahead. And then the question, uh, I, I, I would mark myself as one of the ones that, that are um, concerned about the funding for the interactive uh, display board. So I do have a few questions about this. I think overall, um, the use of technology is always advantageous for, um, for schools and having updated equipment obviously is, is a benefit for our staff and students. I think in, in my experience of uh, being an instructor at a state level, um, a teacher academy where I was teaching teachers how to use instruction in the classroom, um, I often found that the pedagogy for adapting for this type of technology is usually far behind where it is. And there's usually a select number of teachers that are able to adapt and use it at the level that they need, but it's not by far um, most of the teachers in a school. And obviously we have a, a very different school setting here, but I do still have concerns about the amount of funding that this is uh, being spent. So my question is to start knowing that that's my overall concerns is what can you provide details about this pilot program and exactly what will be the metrics used to make sure that we would go forward? I think my concern around this pilot program is it would be moving forward without any kind of hard metrics and how are teachers actually, how do we know if teachers are ready to be using these? How is their pedagogy gonna be, um, uh, do we assess that that's gonna be ready for this kind of interactive ex uh, investment? I'll go first on the non-pedagogy part and then turn it over if that's okay. So when we um, started talking about interactive smart boards, one of the things is the elementary schools um, had smart boards or interactive displays installed a very long time ago. Um, but the middle school hasn't had any. So when we built the high school and we were working with the staff there in terms of their needs, and they identified the smart boards um, that they have there, their interactive display boards, the feedback that we got from the teachers at the other levels were what they had at the elementary level was very antiquated in terms of the abilities and the technology that we had in our other buildings, right? So it was really a teacher-driven request at first. And we started this process with looking at, is this really the solution that we need, right? And we looked at other, you know, ways that we could deliver, you know, if they wanted to show something on a screen, for example, a projector, a TV, and it was really through feedback from our teachers and our principals at the school level that said they weren't looking for those other solutions. They really wanted an updated replacement to these boards. So what we've done next is we've developed a pilot where we've purchased one board for each grade level on a cart. 
and they're actually starting training, I believe it's tomorrow, in, in terms of the interactive displays that we're getting. And by having them on a cart, they're going to have the ability at the school level to pilot them not just to one classroom, but to have all the teachers at the grade levels interact with them. So it really is going to be critical for us to get feedback from the teachers that this is the solution that they need because we, we don't want technology to drive instruction. We want to provide them with solutions that meet the instructional needs that they're looking for for their students. So is it, Ms. Michaels, is the pilot then qualitative in terms of how we're understanding if this is something we'd move forward with? Yes, so our intention is we'll put these displays in place, we'll give them training, and then we'll work to gather feedback from them to ensure that this really is a solution, right, through data that we can show that this is the right thing that they're looking for. And, and I would also add, as I think as a, a result of the work that we've done around professional development, uh, we've done a lot of our professional development and training at the secondary level, more specifically the high school. And so um, just for instance, last year when we went through our um, two-day division level training, we had right around 60 teachers lead the division level professional development. And that was all located at the high school. And so they had the opportunities to use those interactive um, boards. And um, a lot of the, the training as well as um, the work that was involved with those um, sessions, teachers who didn't have those boards in their classrooms were able to see how they, um, see how the teachers were able to use them. And then the teachers who were skilled in using them were obviously not able to deliver the training, but also provide um, like real, real time, real life examples of how we're using these boards in our classrooms every day. Can I, can I just add um, one thing is that we know at the high school and we know at the elementaries they are being used pretty prolifically. Um, they're, they're, they're used almost daily with kids doing all kinds of things with the touch screen, um, particularly at the elementary. The, the middle school just hasn't ever had them. Um, and now we have teachers that are floating because of the staffing model between the high school and the middle school and the middle school and the high school. So part of it is to equalize um, the teaching environment for teachers who are coming from the high school to the middle school um, that are using them. So, so I, I think the answer to your question in terms of is it qualitative, we don't have hard metrics that we're, that we're looking at in terms of use. Like, do we have 50% early adopters or do we have 75% early adopters or is there a skill set that each person has to be able to demonstrate before they, they'll purchase these? Uh, we'll purchase these, we don't. Um, now, what we, what we are doing is we are meeting with each of the teachers and, and talking with them and providing the training. And, and I think one thing we could look at if, if it would potentially help um, help this along is, is think about um, purchasing it in a couple of different tranches. Um, again, we're, we're only going to buy, first of all, we're only going to buy them if our teachers want, if, if they're actually going to use them, right? So that's part of the reason that we're going through this pilot. But if we find out that we have 50% or early adopters, maybe one of the things we can do is buy 50% of them to start and then buy the next 50% after that once the rest of the staff have been trained. So there are some ways that we can look at metting out the purchase. Um, I, all you're doing tonight, just as a reminder, is uh, uh, authorizing us to spend the money if the pilot's successful. 
Yeah, I think the pilot, I, I don't see the pilot, I don't see how the pilot would come back and we would not be purchasing these. I also don't, I, I think the pilot would, I don't know if the pilot is even really a pilot, just more of like a, a prep, you know, for, for moving forward. I mean, I, I could imagine any teacher, including myself, when you see this kind of technology, you would clearly want that as a possibility for your classroom. So I would be approving this to, as an assumption that would move forward. I think the one thing that, as Mr. Bates was talking about, uh, is the professional development around these. Um, that is what's key for really using these and getting the return of investment. And that's what I often see is, is lacking in most school districts when it comes to this technology. And it's not the professional development on how to turn these on and how to use those and how to hook them up. It's also not the two-day professional development of seeing all the ways that you can use this in your classroom. Um, it is the ongoing professional development is that shared planning time of teachers, um, that how they are using it, how their peers are using it. And again, as an instructor, when I used to do this kind of teaching, it was the ongoing professional development. That's the only way you're really going to get not just the return of investment, sure. but that kind of change in pedagogy that's needed for our students to get as much out of this. That's what I am focused on, and I want to make sure that's what we're focused on. And, and we'll be focused on that, but I, I also would respectfully suggest that our teachers will be the first to tell us they don't want something. Um, or they're not going to use it and don't buy it for them, um, even if it glows and it, you know, sparkles. Um, our, our teachers are very clear. I, I think that's one of the things that's nice about our faculty versus any other faculty I've ever worked with is um, if they don't need it, they won't take it. And so, um, so we, we also are looking at that. Yes, Ms. Tice. Oh, yes, Ms. Silverman. Ms. Michael, how many did you say that we were planning to buy if this went well, the pilot program? 160. Okay, so that's, you said I think 3,000 per yes. board. Okay. Um, secondly, back to this, the stormwater issue. This is at Oak Street we're talking about, right? Okay. The motion says Mary Ellen, Ellen Henderson, just to point that out. For whoever reads the motion. Thank you. I, I was getting confused in my facts I'm in my sorry head. About that. No, no, that's okay. I was just making sure I understood it correctly too. Um, and then final thing, so the three hundred thousand dollars savings that we're going to have from the smart boards, because um, it was initially anticipated to be seven hundred fifty thousand dollars, is that just going back in the carryover? Where is that going? It'll stay in carryover. Okay. I will, I will say regarding the, the smart boards, I was speaking with Ms. Michael today about, I remember when our oldest was in first grade, that's when they first got the smart boards, and he's now a senior. So that just gives you a sense of how long they've been at Mount Daniel. They're tw at least 12 years old, so, and they are used quite a bit at the, at least at the elementary school. Um, so any other questions or comments on this? And thank you, Ms. Silverman, for that catch. That was a good catch. Okay, if I am now I'm going to seek a motion. We're at 9.05. If I could seek a motion uh, to approve this FY22 budget amendment. Yes, Ms. Silverman. I move that the Falls Church City School Board authorize an expenditure increase and request an appropriation increase of $3,824,215 to fund the following items. HVAC replacement at Mary Ellen Henderson Middle School, collective bargaining placeholder, textbooks, teacher laptop replacement, interactive display boards at the preschool, elementary, and middle school following a successful pilot and input from teachers, 
flooring replacement at Mary Ellen Henderson Middle School, stormwater maintenance at Oak Street Elementary, two electric buses, and a transfer to support food services. Thank you, Ms. Silverman. May I have a second? Second. Thank you. All those in favor say yes. Yes. All those opposed say no. Thank you. The motion carries. Okay, we are now at 9.06. Uh, we're at declaration of no build restriction and deed of easement and license agreement. And I'll turn it over to Dr. Noonan. I'm gonna pass it right over to our council, uh, Ms. Minson, thank you. Thank you and good evening. There are two um, documents for the board for review and approval tonight. The first is the declaration of no build restriction. This is the document that would, um, along with the corresponding plat that it's included in board docs, reflect that there's a 10.1 foot area along the trapezoid parking lot of the high school that's adjacent to the FCGP garage B3 where the school is agreeing to refrain from building a structure within that 10 foot area. This was discussed during the March school board work session. Um, and I'm very grateful that we have Caroline Crawford and Robin Betterall here if there are questions about the no build restriction. Um, that's the more straightforward of the two documents. The other document um, is a deed of easement and a license agreement. This is for the portion of um, the trapezoid parking lot that is going to become the road that connects the economic development site to Mustang Alley. I think it's called Husky Street or Husky Way and a turnaround loop for parents to drop students off at school. That turnaround loop is right next to the Memorial Grove. Um, so it'll be an easy way for students to access the high school and middle school campus. When this was brought before the board during the March work session, there was a question raised from the board about um, what this would do to limit the board's use of property going forward. So um, we went back and thought creatively to say, instead of all of this being an easement, could we have a public access easement over that portion of the road, but then retain the aerial rights if we did um, decide to build a building, a road, a causeway, a path um, for folks to walk over that road. So we added that to the public access easement and then for the drop-off loop, recognizing that's something that benefits the schools now, but if there's a need for um, additional space in the future where we would want to have a building, if it's an easement, there's other limitations on how we could get that land back versus if it is a license, a public access license, that um, land can still be used by the school board in any way that they, we want. Um, we did add that the license is terminable at will um, by the owner upon 60 days advance notice to the city. So certainly if there's gonna be a change in plans, a building put there, there'd be ample notice to the city. Um, but we have, um, are really grateful for the city for their partnership on this. I know Wyatt Shields is here as well. And thank you Wyatt and thank you to Carol McCoskery, also outside council, um, Jeremy Root helped us work through some of these land issues. Um, but we do recommend that the board sign or authorize the chair to sign the deed of easement and license agreement and the declaration of no build restriction. And I am happy to answer any questions you have on this. And also I'm grateful for other folks if there are questions that relate to economic development to answer those as well. And, and I'll just add on um, this afternoon, we did receive um, the memorandum of understanding regarding the parking. Um, and so that has been executed, um, which was part of what we were waiting for before we move forward with the easements. Great, thank you. Any questions from the board? Yes, Dr. Ortiz. I have, I have a naive question um, on the resolution and the plats that were presented in the board materials. There's the um, public easement for the kind of connector street that goes from the um, Falls Church Gateway Partners site into the Meridian site that then connects to the existing public easement, which we know is Mustang Alley. Um, 
Is that connecting to a, a public easement on their side of the site? I just don't remember from their documents if that's the case. It looks like they're head nods from our folks, head from the folks over there. Yeah. Our good evening. I'm Wyatt Shield, yeah. city manager for the city of Falls Church. And, and it, indeed it does. It okay. connects to a public easement on the 10-acre economic development site. Okay, great. That's, that was my only question. Thank you, Mr. Shields, and thank you, Dr. Ortiz. Any other questions from anyone? Okay. So we are at 9.06. Uh, I'm seeking a motion to approve uh, to authorize school board chair to sign this document. Yes, Dr. Dimmick. I move that the school board authorize the school board chair to sign the declaration of no build restriction and the deed of easement agreement and license agreement between the Falls Church City School Board and the City of Falls Church, Virginia, as presented, subject to changes approved by the superintendent that do not materially adversely affect the school board's position. Thank you. May I have a second? Second. Thank you, Dr. Ortiz. All those in favor say yes. Yes. All those opposed say no. Thank you. The motion carries. Okay, we're now at 9.07, approval of second readings and adoption of policies. I think I will go straight to Ms. Minson. Thank you. This evening, there are two policies for second reading. The first is policy CF, School Building Administration. There were only two minor proposed changes at lines 8 and 14 from first reading, um, and this would replace the current policy CF, just noticing some tweaks in um, the language and updating some of the policy cross-references and legal references. Any questions about policy CF, School Building Administration? Hearing that and seeing some, <laughs> some people shaking their head, the last policy is policy AB, Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion. This is a school board policy um, that was previously, or is currently in place with some additional um, changes proposed by Dr. Demick. There were no proposed changes from first reading. Any questions about policy AB, Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion? All right, those are the only policies this evening. Thank you. Okay, thank you, Ms. Minson. I'm seeking a motion to approve second reading and adoption of policies. Yes, Dr. Ortiz. That the school board approve second reading and adoption of policies, CF, school building administration, and AB, diversity, equity, and inclusion, as presented. Thank you. May I have a second? Thank you, Vice Chair Gould. All those in favor say yes. Yes. All those opposed say no. Thank you. Motion carries. Okay, we're now at 9.08, uh, collective bargaining update, and I will start us off, and Dr. Dimmick and, and Dr. Noonan, feel free to chime in. Uh, just to bring everyone up to speed, uh, this um, school board authorized me to um, create an ad hoc committee that would be working on a proposed collective bargaining resolution, and I... Um, tasked Dr. Noonan uh, as chair of this committee, and we've been meeting now for several weeks, and uh, we've got um, a teacher representing the secondary level, a teacher rec representing the elementary level, and then a staff member representing support staff, and we also have uh, management represented by uh, Ms. Valerie Hardy, Ms. Michael, and Ms. Minson, and uh, Ms. Dimmick and I are representing the school board. And so throughout this process, we've made it clear that Ms. Dimmick and I are, are simply representing the school board as we work on this resolution, and the resolution that will come before this board, um, you know, will have to have final um, approval by this, by this board. So just to update that we've, um, 
in, and I and I know I, I had sent you all an update today as well, but just to, for the public to know, um, as we're working with the teachers on this, um, I think Ms. Demick and I uh, made it clear that we were supportive of salary and benefits being included in, in a proposed resolution. And as we spoke with the teachers, uh, it, it, the teachers made clear that they um, would like to see what we would call working conditions, which are sort of more operational in nature. And so, um, we as a group, and, and Dr. Noonan, if I may say so, has done an, an admirable, admirable job leading this group, chairing this group. Um, everyone came up with a list which the, has been sent out to all of the staff as well as the school board, a list of all these different um, items, I guess for lack of a better word, items. And so um, what we did then as a group is we um, categorized those, like these are salary benefits, these are working conditions. And then these groups came back and, and um, came back and sort of rank ordered these. And so this just happened last week. We kind of went into separate rooms, and each of these three groups um, rank ordered our top five working conditions. Because as Ms. Demick and I spoke, we thought, well, if we can include some working conditions in this proposed resolution for the school board to consider, uh, it would, I think, be a good faith effort on our part and extend. Um, some you know compromise um, to to the teachers. So, we um, what was nice is the three groups came back, and of those five, we all rank ordered our five, and four there are four items where all three groups agreed on um, would be they would want in this resolution, and um, they were okay with having in this resolution. And so those were um, I'll just say them real quick: um, our Seek Peak and Eek uh, advisory committees staying. Um, uh, relevant, I don't know, relevant is not the word, but that we, we would continue with those. Uh, Ms. Reingers pointed out those are in policy, but um, there was some concern that if a collective bargaining resolution was, agreement was reached, that those might not be able to um, stick around. And I think the consensus was as long as items that are not in the agreement are discussed, it would be okay. We, they, those groups would not be able to discuss anything that was in a collective bargaining agreement. But the teachers made it clear that PEAK, SEEK, and EEK have been very, working very well under this superintendent and under this school board, and they value those groups very highly, and they don't want to see those go. Um, the, other, the second item was um, an unencumbered lunch so that uh, staff would be able to have a 30-minute break without having to run to, and part of that you saw, Dr. Noonan, with the um, covering recess, those sorts of things, so, so that staff would have unencumbered lunches. Uh, the third is the evaluation process, and we and I um, appreciate Mr. Reininger wanting a little bit more details, so we will have to get some more details to you on that. That's pretty operational in nature, so um, so um, Ms. Michael will probably be the best person at some point to inform us of the details on that one. And then con contract hours, and again, this isn't the start or end of the school day or the duration of the school day. This is more technical and more support staff oriented, um, and when the one example I received was when a staff member drives the bus and then also then um, works in the cafeteria and how is that person compensated for lunch. So it's, it's a very pretty technical HR personnel uh, matter, but this is something that, um, that I think the teachers said that the really needs to be um, looked at for our support staff. So those are the four items. I think I can speak that, I think I'm accurate in saying that all three groups were very proud of ourselves, um, that we came to this 
uh, sort of agreement on Thursday. We met again today and we talked about, um, as Michael provided, we've been talking about bargaining units and looking at certified staff and non-certified staff and sort of where these different positions fall under these different umbrellas. And so, um, Ms. I think I can say Dr. Dimmick and I, we were, it was very operational for us. And so we, we were really educated today on that. But um, so I th we are making progress. I think we ended the meeting with um, Farrell Kelly, who's representing the secondary um, teachers and staff saying that I think it was a good idea, sort of let's chart out where we are, what we still need to do because the deadline um, to have something to us, the school board was, that we gave them was May 31st. And so um, I think we're, you know, definitely within shot of that and uh, we've made great progress. So um, that's where we are. And um, again, you know, as I've said many times, the Dr. Dimmick and I have made clear that this is, you know, we're gonna work on this resolution and bring it to you all. And then you all will have that chance to look at it. And, um, but you know, in, in terms of where I think we feel, we feel good about it and we feel this is something that, and I think Dr. Dimmick and I would never, you know, we wouldn't support something that um, management, you know, we, we made sure that because as I said, working conditions are very operational in nature. And so Dr. Dimmick and I, you know, also looked to um, management and I think they were all on, I know they were all on board with these items. So Dr. Dimmick, do you want to add anything? Sure, I think you did a great job summarizing that chair down, so thank you. Um, but I guess I would also like to add that I think that our discussions have been really positive and really collaborative, and I think everyone really listens to each other. Um, also, our attorneys have spent time talking about details and minutia that you know the attorneys need to talk about, and I, I think things are moving ahead well and in a positive way, and I think everyone at the table would say that. Thank you. Um, one other piece I'll add is that Dr. Dimmick and I um, did make clear that we, in, when we bring this resolution forward, we do want some language in there that has, you know, we suggested every three years, but that there'd be some language in there so that um, this resolution could be on a regular basis reviewed so that future, we're not tying the hands of future school boards. So every school board would have an opportunity, um, you know, while they're on the board to look at this resolution and, and you know, adjust it if necessary. Dr. Noonan, did you have anything you wanted to add? I do not. Okay. I'm a neutral chair. <laughs> Thank you. Okay, so any questions or comments? Yes, Vice Chair Gould. Yeah, I, I, I think we all realize that collective bargaining was a, a new venture for this district, um, and it was not on the radar of, of time, and I appreciate Dr. Dimmick and uh, Chair Downs for, on behalf of the school board, for all the time that you did to represent uh, and, and push this through. And also Dr. Noonan as chair, as, a, uh, as neutral chair, I think it, it's a testament to how, how we've been able to stay on track and on time uh, on a timeline that I think all the, everyone at the committee came together wanted to stick on. So Dr. Noonan, thanks for providing that leadership and pulling us together. So, thanks. Thank you, Vice Chair Gould. And yes, Ms. Tice. I just had a very small um, clarification question. When you were saying contract hours were sort of a technical, and I, under, I understand that, but when you said it was really more, was that just for hourly employees, or would that potentially be addressing contract hours in terms of when teachers, you know, have to be there before and after the school day? So my understand, no, my understanding is that, and, and Dr. Newman, Ms. Michael, correct me if I'm wrong, but my understanding is primarily about support staff who don't have a paid lunch 
And so trying to figure out, like, if they're working um, in the morning for one part of the school system and in the afternoon for another part, is there maybe some option of helping them with a paid lunch, I think was, I don't know, is that? That, that was a big part of it. And then another part of the, so none of it was about changing any of the um, start and end times. It was much more about the contractual obligation for hourly people within the school day. So um, Chair Downs shared one example. Another was prior to my arrival in the city of Falls Church, the paraprofessional, for example, contract moved from an eight-hour paraprofessional contract to a seven-and-a-half-hour paraprofessional contract. And I think they'd like to raise that as an opportunity to look at maybe going back to an eight-hour contract, which, you know, certainly is something we can talk about, um, but it might mean a shorter contract or, you know, we'll, we'll have to figure that out when we cross that bridge. But um, the big idea was more around hourly, hourly employees. Yes, Ms. Silverman. So if the deadline is May 31st, um, what, is that extendable if needed? I mean, in, in my opinion, it is, I think the, the issue is, I think, on the teacher side, because the school year is coming to a close. Um, if that, is, it, is that right, Dr. Dim? I mean, yeah, I, think no, that I'm just, was, I don't want it to be that it shuts down, it's all thrown out. No, no, I think, I mean, I think we do have a June, so that May 31st is not an actual, that would be like a special school board meeting. So our actual meeting is, I think, June 14th. So we could... Push, I'm, I'm speaking, but jump in here. But I, we could push it to that. But I think the te I think the teachers' concern is that if we were to go much, then the teachers are home for the summer, and we would sort of have to start again and or pick up where we left off in the fall. I think is the issue. So we're trying to meet that May 31st. No, and, and I and for I also want to say I'm thrilled with this update um, that everyone seems to be walking out um, feeling heard and feeling like. They've maybe not won everything that they want, but they've gotten some things that they want, and that's probably the sign of a good negotiation. And just, again, thanks to um, Dr. Dimmick, Chair Downs, and uh, Dr. Noonan for chairing the committee. Thank you. And if I could add, I, I believe our attorneys are hoping to start drafting on Tuesday after our Tuesday meeting. And just to add to sort of the conversation that's already taken place, and, and that is if we, if we were miles apart, I think I would recommend that we would table it until the fall. I don't think we're miles apart. I think we'll be able to, to get there. We, they, not me, they. <laughs> Any other questions or comments? Question. Yes, Dr. Ortiz. Um, uh, I, I appreciate the hard work that's, going to, that's gone into the committee and the negotiations regarding what, 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 what is going to be in the, in, the, in the resolution that comes with the board. Um, can you give an estimate of when we'll be able to um, see um, a draft, even if it's not a final draft? Yeah, I don't. What, Ms. Vincent, what I, do you? I can sort of. Yeah. Um, so, so the work for next Tuesday is to um, take a look at some of the other, a couple of other fundamental issues associated with the contract. So. Um, both sides will be discussing, or all three sides will be discussing costs associated with it. I think we've gotten pretty clear around the major movements of um, the contract, if you will. Um, for example, um, using a labor relations administrator versus a panel, for example, or the things that we're, we're going to bargain about, the things we're not going to bargain about, um, who the units of bargaining are, 
and it looks like right now we have two bargaining units that look like we've agreed to at this point. Um, I think if, if the board is looking for rough contours of what will likely go into the um, into an agreement, I think that the chair could probably send you all sort of some of the things that have been agreed to. Um, I suspect that probably um, the, uh, the third, first part of the last week of May, we should have some sort of draft available to look at. It doesn't give you a lot of, I don't know that that doesn't give you a lot of turnaround time, um, considering you're looking at potentially adopting it on the 31st at a special meeting. Um, so that may mean that's first reading um, uh, of the, the resolution, but we're, we're probably right around that timeline. It's a little hard to say because we still have some big things we've got to um, sort of wrestle to the ground, but um, I would say that's a rough timeline. That's helpful. Thank you. I think to the degree to which, <clears throat> you know, when you go into that drafting process, you know, when you talk about these contours, like, these are the bargaining units. These are the things that are on the table. This is what we left off. You wouldn't put in, I guess, what you left off the table. You know, here's um, how, um, you know, I guess the process for certification of the representative, the process for decertification. You know, if those, you know, that could probably just be a set of PowerPoints with bullets on it, just so it's like, okay, this is what the committee's kind of agreed to. You know, that I think just at least that as a benchmark probably be able to, would facilitate the broader review of the legal document, at least on my end as a, as a non-attorney. Thank you, Dr. Ortiz. Any other questions? Okay, great. Well, we will, um, and I, I do have a couple um, meetings worth of minutes I'll be sending out to you in the next day or two. Um, we, as a committee, uh, take the time to read through those and, and approve them. So we've approved the, the past couple, so I'll get those out to you uh, tomorrow or the next day. Okay, so moving on, uh, we're at item number 10, future agenda topics. Uh, do, and knowing that, um, I th you know, it is, it is, we often say that once we hit spring break, it's sort of a race to the f finish line. And so I know that Dr. Noonan and his uh, team are uh, v very busy right now between uh, this item, collective bargaining, and um, everything else going on that we've got standardized tests and um, everything that's um, percolating right now. So things are th strategic plan. So, um, you know, in terms of agenda items, I think these would probably need to, um, and we already have some, uh, quite a few on the docket for the rest of the spring and early summer. So I, please feel free. I think these would probably have to be pushed to, you know, the summer or early fall. Um, but please, if anyone has any, let just let me know. Yeah, um, yeah, and, and I'll, uh, why don't you talk about that a little oh, bit? Okay. Um, uh, so, so in effort to try to help organize our different agenda items uh, and, and priorities, um, Dr. Noonan and, and uh, Chair Downs and I created a document that we're going to have that we're all going to be able to put our own agenda items on there, see what everybody's putting on there, our priority, when we would want it, and most importantly, how we want that answer delivered, whether it's just a simple email, a meeting with Dr. Noonan, bring it up at a board meeting. So that document, we're just reviewing it just before we're dusting it off uh, with final edits before we give it to you all, and that'll be a standing document that we'll all be able to have access to throughout the year, so we'll understand how that, and as we know, priorities change, interests change, and we can use that document for us to collectively help organize, especially to help 
Dr. Noon and his staff to make sure that they spend a lot of time that we don't see preparing for our agenda requests and make sure that what we're asking for is still relevant sometimes two months later um, so they're not spending time that's not needed. School board members are always welcome in, uh, to bring agenda items up in this manner and, and during this meeting. Um, but I know there, there have been times for me in the past where I haven't have want some information about a subject that probably could have been handled in Noonan's notes. So I think that's sort of what the idea of this is, is if you want to float an idea, like this is something I'd like to learn more about. And it's an opportunity for Dr. Noonan and Vice Chair Goldeneye to say, is that, is that better handled than Noonan's notes? Would that be a great topic for the community to listen to? So I think it's sort of just trying to figure out what is the best, um, knowing we only have two meetings a month um, and things are filling up quick. Are there different ways that we can address some of these items? Okay. All right. Well, we will uh, move on to then section 11, the superintendent's report. Thank you, Chair Downs. Um, I, want to, I want to start um, with a debrief that we held today um, following last Thursday's um, accidental trip of the emergency alarm system at the high school. Um, we did uh, have an after action processing um, engagement today with Mary Gavin from the Falls Church City Police Department along with her officers and a number of our staff, um, both school-based administrators, um, central office, and folks um, from across the secondary campus. Um, and the, the, the focus of that meeting was really to debrief around what did we do well, what, what didn't we do well, or what are, what are some things we can prove, improve upon, and then what will we do to move forward, and what steps will we take? And I know that I sent something out, you may have seen it uh, earlier to the community and to all of you and to the staff, but I think it's worthy of just sort of putting it on the record here too, um, to say that, you know, there were a number of things that went really well, um, as bad as that incident was. Um, one was that our staff and our students did exactly what they were supposed to do in a critical incident. Um, in fact, we, we had a couple of substitutes and we train our substitutes on what to do in critical incidences. But in, in um, a couple of cases, the students actually were guiding the substitutes and what to do. Um, so clearly they knew, they knew what the drill was. Um, our Meridian and our Henderson faculty and administration were amazing and kept level heads and did a really great job and followed all the protocols. Um, all of our emergency systems, um, physical systems at the high school worked as they were supposed to work when we did all of our planning. For those of you that came to any of our Sunday series or heard some of the updates from us around security, doors closed, overhead doors shut, um, lockdowns were in place and, and the building performed. Um, we were able to deploy our staff, um, some from here at central office, including Ms. Minson, to the giant parking lot um, to make sure that students that were off campus were able to be accounted for um, and were safe. Um, and then our police did an extraordinary job with a very swift and, and intense, to be honest, response, which is in a critical incident, what you want to have happen. Um, unfortunately, it was a, a false alarm and a trip. Um, we did have some challenges and, and I wanted to um, just talk about what some of those challenges are and how we sort of plan to address some of them. Um, and this was not, a, I didn't put out an exhaustive list, by the way, um, I did put out just some samplings. but. Um, the response that we experienced um, on Thursday was not a campus response. It was more of a school response. It was a Meridian response. And ultimately what we 
needed to do was create a circumstance where it became a campus uh, solution. And so there was um, Henderson brought into the lockdown ultimately because those two buildings are, are connected and I thought that, that was something that we can definitely work on in the future in terms of our coordination across the campus. Um, our communication systems, the technology pieces between the two campuses or the two schools on the singular campus aren't in sync either. So as an example, when you make a PA announcement at Meridian, they can't hear it at Henderson, just like if you make a PA announcement at Henderson, you can't hear it at Meridian. Um, the, the boards that are in the classrooms at the high school where you can actually type messages, which will be an important component of the, the run, hide, fight um, piece, work at the high school, but there aren't boards at the middle school. So that's one of the safety security things that we're looking at. Um, but all of that to say that all of our systems aren't in sync across that campus. And so we're going to be spending some time really working to um, align that. I want to thank the police department because they were very open and honest um, and did say, um, you know, one of the things that happened is we had some plainclothes officers that came onto the campus with um, pretty high power weapons and um, there wasn't a way to determine that they were officers. And so they're trained to put on vests that say FC Falls Church City Police um, and some of them didn't. And that was something that Mary Gavin said she'll continue to work on, but they were very honest about that and, and appreciated. But some of you may have seen some of the social media pictures that were going around, and some of it was officers from um, the police department. Um, you know, one thing we realized very quickly was we need a coordinated command. Um, in other words, uh, we need to have uh, coordination with the police department about who's in charge in different places. And is that command at the school site? Is it off-site? In the case of a real critical incident and everybody's locked down, the command for the school staff might actually be off-site or coming to the school site um, but being outside with the police. And so reviewing that was a good opportunity. And then um, during the crisis and in an early video communication that I put out um, to the community, we initially believed that the badge that set the alarm off was handed to a parent volunteer by a staff. But upon further review and video ev evidence, uh, we did conclude that the volunteer very unknowingly grabbed the badge off the desk and, and uh, hit the swipe. So uh, that showed us that we have some badge control issues that we need to, to work on um, pretty significantly. Because if you have keys to essentially the nuclear option, they shouldn't be out in the open for anybody just to grab. Um, so some of the things that we are going to improve on, um, that being one of them, another is developing a safety and security communications plan um, that, that clearly delineates responsibilities um, because we did have some folks show up at the high school that we didn't know exactly what to do with right away and was that the right thing to do? Should we descend upon um, a, a place that could be an active site? And, and the answer to that question is no, right? And so one of the things that we want to uh, impress upon everybody in the community because one of the responses was our parents started to line up on Route 7 and on Haycock is that if there is a true emergency, it's really important that everybody stay away from that site so that emergency vehicles and, and those that need to be there can get on site. And so that's something that we're going to continue to, to work on, um, develop that coordinated command structure, um, ensuring that our police department has access to all of our cameras. Um, we have that in all of our buildings, um, but this, this time um, there was a technology issue um, that we've understood to be on the city side, the general government side, 
um, that didn't allow that to happen. So we're working with um, the general government and their tech folks so they can have eyes in our buildings um, at, at uh, a moment's notice. Um, and then creating technical um, structures to help coordinate communication between Meridian and Henderson. As I mentioned before, being able to make announcements across both buildings is really an important component to our work. So um, we, you know, as, as terrible as this incident was last Thursday, uh, from a variety of perspectives, um, the good news is, is that um, everything worked as it was supposed to and we're learning from it. So in the case that there is a real critical incident down the line, um, the, the good news is, is we're going to be better the next time, just like everybody, um, everybody anticipates is we're going to continue to improve. So I wanted to make sure that, that you knew that, but I also want to um, just say a couple more things. One is um, we're going to work diligently to make sure that the communication you get from the schools is the most accurate information, and it was really accurate with the exception of where the person got the badge. But it told the story of what had happened, um, what didn't tell the story was social media. And, and I don't know how to impress upon our community, our parents, our students, that social media in a crisis incident is not a place to communicate about what's happening in schools, unless the source is the schools um, or the police department, because the schools and the police department are the two entities that have essentially control and command of a, of a critical incident like that. So, I just want to impress upon folks that um, we're hopeful that in the future that you don't listen to the social media unless it comes from the schools or the police. And that's a hard thing to do. Um, and, and we are creating some messages that will go out immediately. Um, I, I think John uh, and, and our team did a really nice job of helping keep people stay in touch all the way through um, and know what was happening and, and are very appreciated for that. Um, the next thing is, and I mentioned this before, like if there is a critical incident, stay away. Don't, don't come. That's like the worst thing you could do is clog up traffic. Um, and then the last thing I'll say about this is just I, I can't express my appreciation for our teachers, our staff, our administrators, our students for their calm, cool, and collectedness through all of this. Um, yes, there were some students that were very shaken by this, and I totally understand that. Um, but the vast majority of our students, and that's not to say that was bad, you, you know, it was a shaking event, but the vast majority of our students and our families um, took this and, and, and in a way I think that it was, it was a mistake, but we're going to learn from it and um, go forward. So I wanted to make sure you had that update. Um, the second is the IB Art Show. Let's go on to some more happy things. Um, the IB Art Show is on display in the... Um, the heart of the school over at Meridian. So if you walk in the doors on the right-hand side next to um, the theater, we have some really amazing um, art that's up in the main hall, um, and it will be available all week for public, public viewing. Um, it's absolutely impressive, so please stop by and check it out. Um, the Celebration of Excellence is this Thursday, um, and that Celebration of Excellence um, hasn't happened for the last three years, and we're really excited to be um, back at it. There are 19 employees from all five schools and central office that are going to be recognized um, and hope that you all can join us at Meridian High School for that. Richard Kane and the amazing food services staff are going to be catering it. Um, the reception begins at 415 and then the program begins at 445 and it'll be in the Innovation Commons, which is the third floor <coughs> at the high school. And everybody's welcome from the community. Um, we'll be recognizing all our teachers and staff and folks of the year um, throughout. 
Um, next is Falls Church Foundation. Again, gala is coming up, um, so please join, a, join the foundation uh, for the silent auction and the gala on the 20th of May um, at the Washington Golf and Country Club. Of course, that money raised um, helps support all of our students and teachers, and right now um, the foundation is expecting um, 300 uh, plus people at the event. Um, I want to thank our PTSAs. Um, this last week, they did a phenomenal job recognizing our teachers and staff for Teacher and Staff Appreciation Week. Um, I, they are the unsung heroes and oftentimes don't get treated in a way that unsung heroes should be treated. Um, but I, I do want to take just a second to thank all of our PTSAs for their support of our schools. Um, did an amazing job last week. And some breaking news, this just in, um, from our crack staff over in the communications office. The CAPI nominations are in, and Meridian has nine, count them, nine nominations for the CAPIs, including best play for the complete works of William Shakespeare, Abridged, Revised. So um, congratulations to our, our folks uh, that were part of that, that show. Nine nominations is an extraordinary number and um, has changed the calculus of whether I'm going to the Cappies or not. So I'm um, really excited. Marty, we're going to have to change that RSVP. All right. So that's my update for tonight. Thank you. And, and I do have one last thing. Yeah. Um, thank you for the grace on a couple of the mistakes in the motions tonight. We, um, we're running at full speed here and uh, trying to try to pull it all together. So appreciate um, the gracious space. Okay, any uh, questions? We don't, I, I know Dr. Noonan, you will entertain some questions. Does anyone have any questions, comments? I, I'll just say, uh, Dr. Noonan, I think uh, we, we'll, we all agree, we'll, um, I'll speak for the board that I thought your communication today was excellent, very clear and concise and very transparent. And, uh, you know, I think as, as everyone would agree, I mean, the bright, the silver lining of this is, you know, Thank God it was a false alarm, and that has given us the opportunity to figure out what we need to fix. For God forbid, if it wasn't the next time. So you know, I think this is th that is the silver lining, and it sounds like you really took the opportunity um, to heart meeting with Chief Gavin and really getting to that to the nitty gritty of what needs to be fixed, and then also communicating that to the community so that they know that you're working on that. So thank you for that leadership. Any any questions? Or yes, Vice Chair Gould. Yeah, just to echo, yeah, I think the communication today, especially admitting what we did well, but also what we need to improve on admitting that openly is, is important because I think we don't want to gloss over the fact that there was mistakes made and we want to learn from that. And I think that's indicative of our district. Uh, a quick question about the communication uh, to the other Falls Church City schools. Um, I know there's, unfortunately, in our day and times, we have a lot of research on how to respond to, to these kind of situations in schools across the country, which is sad in itself. But what, what, is, what, are we, what is the policy or what's the best practice for alerting other schools or what do we do to alert the other schools of this? Um, in, in a critical uh, moment like that, we take our, our orders from the police in terms of what to do with other schools. So um, one thing we know is, for example, Haycock um, Elementary, Longfellow Middle School, and one other uh, elementary were locked down not locked down, they were in shelter in place because of what was happening at Meridian. Um, because of this particular circumstance and we were able to identify very quickly that it was likely a false alarm, um, 
the chief and the police department didn't feel like we needed to go into any kind of shelter in place or lockdown in our other buildings. Um, but that being said, there was a communication that went out to everybody um, and the other buildings did get that. So I, I know that, um, for example, Mr. Kasich at Mount Daniel um, was aware and he has a daughter at the high school and was thinking about it as well. Um, but I did hear from the other, other folks in other schools that were nervous um, about it. So, so our teachers got it as well. So there was a communication that went out to everybody. So the other schools outside our district, they take their cues from Fairfax County Police? Is that yes, your? Okay. that is correct. In fact, that night we communicated with the Chief Operating Officer in Fairfax County um, and he shared with us that um, he didn't even know that they had gone into lockdown, which by the way speaks to the size of the district, um, not knowing that three of your schools were in not lockdown shelter in place, um, but that's strictly done by Fairfax County Police Department. Ms. Tights. I just, wanted, I just wanted to make a quick comment. Another thing I thought um, that we did really well and that I just wanted to acknowledge was how flexible um, the response was afterwards in terms of the range of experiences that kids had. Um, just a quick anecdote when I was talking to one of my friends about um, her eighth grader and my eighth grader and their experiences, one of our kids was very traumatized, needed to go home, was extremely, understandably extremely upset. The other one barely noticed it was happening, was so calm and cool, collected, happy to go on with the rest of their day. Turns out they were in the same classroom. It wasn't like, it had nothing to do with how the teacher responded. It was purely just their personalities and how they experienced the event um, personally. And so it was really nice that one kid got to stay in school and continue the day and that was what was best for them. And one kid was welcome to go home and recover with their family and that was what was best for them. So I just really appreciated the flexibility of response afterwards. And instead of just, a, you know, sort of assuming everyone was in the same place. That was really well done as well. And, and for the record, when I came on the intercom after the event, I didn't say that school was canceled. Um, I didn't say that you could go home. I said, if, if you need to go home, please contact your parents and have them contact the school. Um, there seems to be some lore out there that I dismissed school and I did, <laughs> not, I did not do that. <laughs> But, but thank th you. that would, they'd hold you in higher esteem if they think, you know, Dr. Noonan, just let them, let them go. Uh, I do have a question, Mr. Bretz, in the audience. Um, so some of the, I get the sense that not everyone, um, so I guess, sorry. So when we receive, when I receive these alerts on my phone, are those things that people have to subscribe to, to get the alerts? Sorry to put you on the spot, Mr. Is it the once a year Mr. Brett gets to speak at the school board <laughs> meeting? <laughs> uh, yes, they do it. The SMS text messages, yeah. you do have to opt into that. Yes. Okay. Because, you know, it's interesting. There's a parent listserv that I know all of the, a lot of us are on. And um, there are some things going, so I quickly typed, you know, because we knew at that point, you know, that Dr. Noonan had notified the school board that it's a false alarm. Um, but then the couple message I got, it was clear that these people were not getting the communication from the school. Mm -hmm. So I'm wondering if it might be a good time to run something in morning announcements to remind people how to opt in. Yep. Um, okay, that'd be great. Thank you very mm -hmm. much. Thank you, Mr. Mm -hmm. Brett. And thank you for, I know that communications in the heat of the moment is very stressful. So thank you for your work on that. Okay. Yes, Ms. Silverman. Um, one final thing on the communications. Um, I, I think I got the the text that the alarm was tripped, but I never got a text that everything was okay. Um, some people might only be on their phones able to get text messages and not emails during the day. Um, if we can just be consistent with the texting and the emails just to make sure that, you know, if we're on lockdown, 
you know, through one mode of communication, then the all clear is also sent through that same mode of communication. Uh, is that is that to me? Because I was communicating with you guys via text and email. So, so I got from the automated text. My last one is an alarm was tripped. Okay. So I never got a follow up saying it was everything all clear. is fine. Okay. You did? Okay. So Ms. Tice got two, so we'll have to figure that out. Okay, well, thank you very much. Um, we'll move on now to um, Section 12, Board and Student Liaison Comments. Ms. Hamid, here's your after three and almost a half hours. <laughs> Give us an update. <laughs> this is your time when you say, I got nothing. <laughs> See, is this working? Okay. Um, well, thank you. And I also want to say thank you for the school board's response and what happened on Thursday. And also I'd like to echo Ms. Tice's comment about the range of support afterwards because I know it was unfortunately something that our students have to think of in the realm of possibility in the times that we live in. So um, I want to thank you for that. And I did hear you did not dismiss the students at the end of the day. I did hear the message for myself. Um, it was it was clear, very clear. Um, but in more happy news, on Saturday we had our junior senior prom at uh, the pavilion at Wolf Trap, and I know I saw Miss Michael there, and it was an incredibly fun event. And we got a large turnout, and even though the weather was suboptimal, it was extremely fun, and I think a lot of students were very excited to go back to um, probably the most normal school dance that we've had in probably three years. So that was extremely exciting. And spring sports, again, are underway. And there's senior nights for a variety of sports. I know boys lacrosse is on Thursday. And I'm sure some other school board members could inform me of other dates and times. I don't have the whole schedule memorized, unfortunately. Um, and let's see. Oh, uh, this afternoon, I would like to say I did interview uh, my replacement for school board rep. Unfortunately, I will be graduating soon, um, and I don't know if that's been sent to you all yet, but um, that is coming down the pipeline as well as, well as uh, some special advisory committee appointments from students. So that uh, is all my updates. So thank you. Thank you, Ms. Hamid. Uh, Ms. Tice, can we start with you? Do you have any school board or any board or committee yep. update? Sure, yep. Um, I did attend the Rec and Parks meeting, and it was very brief, actually, but they um, are, are moving ahead, um, working on the plans for the Fellows property across from Oak Street Elementary. So there's some exciting things um, in the works coming to that property. And there is still a vacancy on that group. So if that's of interest to anyone in the community, uh, you can check it out on the city website. Um, you do have to attend a meeting first, so we hope to see somebody at the next one who might be interested in that. Um, and then the other one I attended was the Special Education Advisory Group, and they met last night, and we had a great presentation of the annual um, IDEA plan. And um, so thank you, Ms. Sharp, for that. And then we also had a robust discussion on just the role of these advisory groups and um, what isn't it isn't you know, appropriate or within their purview or how they can be most effective. And so I really appreciate that the um, looking to give some more training and some more education and support to those groups is coming um, down the pike because it was clear that the, you know, the 
the intentions and the energy is there and that the, the desire to really make sure they're being effective um, and most helpful. So uh, that was very appreciated. Thanks. Uh, thank you, Chair. Uh, <clears throat> a couple of things. Um, the Daycare Advisory Board met yesterday, and um, Richmond, in its infinite wisdom, has recently decided that if you offer um, care services longer than four hours, you have to be regulated even if you're a school. Um, and so that's a fairly new change, and while that may change in the future, the daycare team is having to go through and do all of the appropriate certifications, which sort of doubles their amount of work, and it's a little ridiculous. But they're doing it, and it'll all be good. Um, I also caught up on what's happening in band boosters. Um, the band advanced band trip to Hershey Park was on last Friday, and the band performed sadly in the rain, but won a first place um, and got special recognition um, for both the, uh, let's see, it's the low horns and French, the French horns and low brass sections. Um, the uh, Tri-M Music Honor Society recently formed a chapter at MHS, um, and um, it raised money for children in the Ukraine through UNICEF um, and raised about $2,000, which is awesome. Um, and uh, uh, the band director said they're waiting for the soundproofing in the MHS band room to be completed. And so that should be relatively soon, and everyone's looking forward to that. I don't know if that's one of the punch list items or not. That, um, actually, we're doing additional soundproofing. Um, and I thought it was being done, um, but we'll follow up. No, 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 she said it's about done. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So everyone's yeah. excited. That was actually an additional purchase outside of the contract. We, we had somebody come in. They said the sound is great. But if you really wanted to improve it, you could put a couple more sound um, baffles in. So we bought some sound baffles with some remaining funding. <laughs> awesome. Thank you. Uh, yes, uh, I uh, attended the uh, Chamber of Commerce meeting, um, and the focus was on uh, their social media campaign as well as uh, membership drive, um, which, um, and I, I would say just as a plug for anybody attending, um, it, they, it's a fun group, and they've got a great community, um, very similar to Falls Church City, so, uh, so and they're doing a lot of uh, great things, and a lot of their events are starting to come back uh, in person. Um, we also attended the office hours, I can't remember. Um, and that was, uh, we, uh, Chair Downs and I had office hours, and we, uh, we had a community member talk about the uh, women's uh, wrestling program at Meridian and talked about the state of the women's wrestling program across the country and highlighted some uh, unfortunate numbers around where the state of Virginia is in terms of it's uh, one of the last in the country to not uh, allow wrestling for a, a program and how... Um, uh, how in inequitable the wrestling program is for girls. Uh, it um, and but uh, but yeah. So that's what we. That's right. And we ate too many chips at a. <laughs> <laughs> so um, yes. So I'll give a brief update on the Education Foundation. Dr. Noonan mentioned that the gala is May twentieth. So it'd be great if the school board members. Uh, could attend. Um, they used the proceeds from the gala, specifically that auction, to um, raise money for teacher grants and training grants. Uh, they also recently awarded their Teachers of the Year. 
uh, our, the Meridian PTSA um, really did a um, lot. This, as the school year goes on, it gets busier and busier for Meridian PTSA as graduation activities come. They, they decorated the prom venue. Um, they held a um, fundraiser at Clarendon's for all-night grad. Um, they just delivered uh, signs to Miss Amidi of a sign in your yard, a, a proud graduate signs in all the yards. So they've been very busy. And that's it for me, Dr. Ortiz. Thank you, Chair Downs. I have a, a, a long list of um, committees. I'll, I'll provide a, a brief review of each. Um, first, uh, the elementary PTA had a meeting last week. Um, they're working on memory books for fifth graders, which is always a terrific thing. Our fifth graders love that. And then we also had a terrific update from the hugely successful Hippo Tiger Games. Um, uh, just a couple of, uh, of, uh, of data points, over uh, 1,100 tickets sold, over 100 pizzas consumed, lots of raffle tickets, great, great participation, and over $23,000 raised. So that was a really tremendous, um, tremendous evening. Um, those of you who attended and didn't wear earplugs um, are probably still hearing it. Um, the, uh, the, the mascot name for Oak Street is Stripes, um, for those of you who didn't know that already. And um, later on in the month is International Night. Um, also, I was um, unfortunately away on business, but the, um, the athletic boosters met. Um, a couple of things um, from the athletic boosters is they're working on team stipends, uh, the scholarship committee wor work. Um, uh, they have, um, um, have, have had tremendously successful um, spirit wear sales. And if you um, don't have your spirit wear, please visit the Mustang Fan Shop. Um, and then the mulch sales, the, they have an estimate of $7,000 net from that. So that's a terrific outcome for them. And then lastly, the, um, the um, ESOL uh, um, Advisory Committee met last week um, to discuss a number of items. We received updates on, um, on the, the, the ESOL programming at the middle school, which is changing a little bit based upon the budget that we just approved. Um, as well as um, got an introduction, uh, the, full, the full advisory committee got an introduction to, to Rena Portillo, who is the new um, liaison at Oak Street. So that was a really terrific meeting as well. So that's my update and look forward to uh, the next one. Thank you, Dr. Ortiz. Dr. Dimmick. Um, the Gifted and Talented Committee um, spent some time looking at the technical review of our Gifted and Talented plan and um, talking about next steps. Um, then uh, last night, I went to the Coral Boosters meeting. Um, it's, it's a busy time of year for all things sports and music. Um, last week, Oak Street had their concert. Um, this, um, this Thursday is the spring concert at Meridian. Um, and it also, I guess, includes 18 community members singing in that. Um, on the 24th, Henderson is having their spring concert, and um, they're also doing a fundraiser on the 24th at um, Taco Rock, if anyone wants tacos. Thank you. Ms. Silverman. I did not have any meetings, but I just wanted to mention being at the HTG Games was exceptional. I, my oldest is now at Oak Street. The last time we were able to go in person was when she was at Jesse Thackeray because all of Mount, her Mount Daniel time, we did not have in-person HTG games. So it was a magnificent event. The PTA did a phenomenal job. I would do that every weekend if I could. I loved it, every <laughs> minute of it. Thank you. 
I'm going to give your name to the PTA. <laughs> I'm busy enough, thank you. <laughs> I help when I can, is what I should say. <laughs> thank you, Ms. Silverman. Okay, so we're going to move on to Section 13 now, approval of minutes. Um, I'd like to ask for unanimous consent to approve the minutes of May 11th, 2021 and May 25th, 2021. And hearing no objections, those minutes are approved. Uh, if we go to section, whoops, section 14, uh, we have materials for board review. And uh, if there's any, any other comments, questions before we adjourn? Okay, that's it. Thank you. I want to thank the staff who's joined us for this late night. Uh, we really value your time, and thank you all for being here, and have a good evening. <laughs>